Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. Uh, so, Western Week in the Stacks. This is Jay. You already know what my name is. Except I'm not Clint Eastwood, and I can't get away with that. My name's Shanna. And and it, he he didn't give his name. He's just no, he I did not give it. Yeah, uh, so but I, he does I, say that, that we are supposed to know what it is. Right. Well, they're supposed to know what they're it is, supposed or to at know least Mordecai does. Yeah. Uh, but a couple things before we get to our first movie, I have a couple uh, sort of things that I, I meant to mention last week and one that I uh, just uh, learned about after we recorded that is pertinent to last week. Oh, so first, uh, because we covered a share movie, this is an anecdote I meant to talk about that uh, I don't know if when it will ever come up. I mean, I do have at least one other share movie, uh, Good Times, <laughs> the Sonny and Share movie from their TV series. But I don't know okay. when we're going to watch that. You know who that's directed yeah, who knows, by, by right? the way? Who is that directed by? William Friedkin, director of The Exorcist. Huh. <laughs> he directed the Sonny and Share movie. Uh, but uh, I, I remember one time I found a VHS tape in my parents' collection, just like a, 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 you know, a homemade VHS tape and watch it. And it was them dressed up as Sonny and Cher doing I Got You Babe karaoke. And as well as everybody else they knew in doing, <laughs> dressed as Sonny and Cher doing I Got You Babe in karaoke. <laughs> just like in a line, like, you know, every couple just you know, over and over again, the same song, all of them in... Uh, the same cosplay. It it was, I don't know. It's 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 a thing that will always stick with me. It's such a bizarre. Yeah. That's a little weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I I mentioned I watched uh, Next of Kin last week, which has a score by Klaus Schulz. I was mentioning, you know, he's from Tangerine Dream, and he actually died last Tuesday, the day we were oh, recording, and I hadn't right. heard about it yet. Uh, so yeah, uh, rest in peace, Klaus Schulz. Great piece. Uh, electronic pioneer. But this week, our first feature of two Westerns that we're discussing is the 1973 film High Plains Drifter, uh, directed by Clint Eastwood and starring, written, or actually not written by, uh, his second feature after Play Misty for Me. Are you familiar with Play Misty for Me? I've heard the name, but no, I'm not familiar with it. That one, he plays a cool late-night jazz DJ who's being stalked by Jessica Walter. Okay. You know Jessica Walter, best known now for, I guess, Arrested Development and Archer. Archer, uh, yeah. But, hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, she, she's, she passed away too, didn't she, not too long ago? Yeah, I think last year, maybe the year before. Oh. Uh, but, yeah. Very interesting movie. That's his first one, and this is the second one. And it's self-reflective. I, I didn't know that this was, when I was watching it, that this was directed by him, but it feels like it has a lot of the Clint Eastwoodisms in it, like just mm -hmm. sometimes getting extremely dark and violent and not glorifying that violence, but then sometimes kind of glorifying the violence. Yeah, it's weird. It's a deconstruction. Like, it, it feels like it's a deconstructing, especially Fistful of Dollars, but overall, like, just the Man With No Name series. Like, it's it's him sort of 
actively deconstructing his own mythology from just a few years before. Yeah, yeah, because this is a guy who doesn't have a name, but he is not the man with no name. No, but he kind of is. And it's almost of. the same setup. Like, it's, it does feel very reflective of the same setup of Fistful of Dollars, where it's like mm-hmm. this town that needs to be punished. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, like, this, this town needs to be punished. Oh, it, it does. And it, it feels like it's an examination of the morality of Fistful of Dollars in, in that, like, you know, he, he rides into that town and that town has to be punished down to the ground. Like there, there's not a lot of people who walk out of it at the end. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I, I think it's very interesting that I, I, it's probably Clint Eastwood is the first big Hollywood superstar to actively go and deconstruct his own myth as a filmmaker. Like he became a superstar actor and then he started directing his own movies and he's like, let's look into that superstar thing. That's weird, right? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. Um, Cause like there's a lot of parallels between this and fistful, but there's mm-hmm. a lot different. There's a lot. Uh... <laughs> it's, it tr- it's, it's similar, but it treats it in a different way. Yeah. And that's, it, it's also that's the best way to, it feels different. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's meant to be less pleasing. Like mm-hmm. it's it's sort of doing the 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 Michael Haneke thing. Uh, uh, just like, how do we feel about this violence? Uh, it, and like it's a horror western. Clint yeah. is like an old west Michael Myers. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, when I was watching it, I was like, hey, this uh, this feels like a like a comedy western with just every now and again just a boom here's some real freaking horror uh and then i remember that hey this guy who's fleecing this town uh in his second scene he rapes a girl so maybe maybe it's, it's not all that funny it's problematic uh yeah. def- definitely problematic but i i do feel that this is also sort of clint eastwood reflecting on america in vietnam uh, american intervention in vietnam and this sort of feels like his character is sort of an America surrogate and it's it's not oh, really looking super kindly on yeah. everything happening there. That when that's you definitely put it that way, <laughs> this this makes sense. That that was <laughs> one of the things I was definitely thinking a lot about when I was watching because it's 73. It's right when that's starting to be uh, a really big at home issue in America where the, the protests are uh like, you know, we, we've already been through a few years of protests and it's kind of to the point where everybody is out on it. Like there's there's not a lot of uh, people still on the this is a good war and a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Other than John Wayne and uh, John Wayne didn't like this movie. <laughs> it, yeah. What was it? It wasn't racist enough. I think it was just that it, it was too liberal in a lot of ways like you know it, it's yeah. clearly criticizing the american west it's criticizing the violence of it and it's sort of critical of america like our western hero in this isn't all that heroic because no. yeah i mean he, he's not all that heroic but nobody is like they're all kind of bad <laughs> there, there's no one good mm-hmm. there's one but character like... who's kind of slightly arguably good but yeah nobody's evil yeah, but Other not, like, than... in the same way as Sartana, though. Right. Like, like, this isn't a retread of that. No, although it has a lot of parallels to that, too. Mm-hmm. Especially that opening shot. 
like oh, it yeah, has where the he, exact same one sorry yeah where he rides in like on the planes and like it's all blurry because of the heat waves yeah and he like emerges like a ghost out of a heat haze and it's this long eerie shot it's kind of scored like horror the mm-hmm. the, the score to this movie by d barton he, he's an avant-garde jazz guy uh pretty much only worked with eastwood in terms of movie scores other than he also did some horror movies in the 80s notably it, it does feel like a horror movie score with a bit of a western theme to it rather than a western score yeah it's that gothic horror feel uh, notably, this is written by a uh, guy named Ernest Tidyman, uh, who's better known for writing The French Connection and Shaft. Oh, okay, Kind of cool. interesting. <laughs> I love the setting for this movie. Uh, the, the town of Lago, which just means lake. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Um, yeah, it's like nine houses that are all pristine. Because they're just built. You know, they were just a, built. Some of them are still being built. Like they, like you've got building frames going up. Mm-hmm. And just the lake vista that's on this huge lake, and you have that big blue lake behind everything, uh, and it, just this this little town that's springing up around a mine. Like th- this is a company town. Uh, yep, and we've got company people here guess who the bad guys are you'll never you'll never figure it out <laughs> they're capitalists and, and that's also like, that that's kind of an interesting element of it is that i i don't feel like <laughs> eastwood is anti-capitalist typically but he's definitely not very pro-capitalist in this movie like this is him kind of teaching them some old west socialism uh, yeah, he he kind of starts uh, building communism in this town for a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, so he he rides into town, and I would say his first ride through town is very reminiscent of Fistful of Dollars. The opening of that, where he's riding through that town, he's shot from the back. It feels kind of eerie and otherworldly, like he's this ghost coming into this not fully developed town this this town that uh is threatening in some way yeah and everybody's gotta stare at him and be like dirty looks hey somebody's riding into town drop drop what you're doing and give him a dirty look and don't say anything and and he doesn't react to anything at all until he hears a whip crack which is interesting uh, in terms oh, of... Oh, I didn't how, notice that. Yeah, he, he just kind of is stone-faced all the way through, and he hears a whip crack, and it's the first time his head turns at all. And obviously that's pretty significant to uh, the character later on. I just and, thought that his head turned because that was the first noise anybody had made. Right, but, but you know, if you yeah. know the movie... <laughs> if you know the movie, yeah. this will make sense. So he goes to the saloon and we're seven and a half minutes into the movie. And the first word of the movie is spoken beer. Yep. <laughs> uh, and so the guy serves him a beer and is like, you want anything else with that? Just a peaceful hour to drink it in. Uh, but of course <laughs> he can't, can't get have that. that. No, that, that's not available in this town. or in any western town apparently every time somebody rides in you gotta have five guys who don't take kindly to them in these parts yeah and they're usually really dim guys oh always 
they, they are they're dead meats kind of like they're they're sort of the the bad gunfighters who need to be dealt with as a, a show of uh capability for our main guy in a way because like there's just immediately this tension but it's different from the usual western tension here like this definitely feels more like a horror tension the way like i i think a lot of it's the lighting this is lit in a really interesting way in that all of the interiors are really dark anytime you're inside a building it's pretty dark you're usually just seeing people kind of in a dark space the you see a lot of silhouettes yep uh but it's extremely bright outside all the time. The, that really sharp blue with the lake and the sky. Yeah, uh, except for when it's nighttime and bad shit's going down, in which case. Well, then often you got fire. There's <laughs> all, almost always fire and red. And... Yeah. I mean, it's it's like a really high contrast look in a lot of interesting ways. And I like that in the daytime, all of the interiors and all of the people are so heavily brightly backlit that just everybody is dark and every place in the town is dark. Yeah, I, I never, I never really caught that. But now that you mention it, it's weird, but also very fitting. Like I had this, I couldn't quite place it until later, later on. But when he was mm-hmm. writing in, I had this whole feeling like the town felt fake. Like sure, before I even knew that they were just constructing it uh like everything was so perfect even if everything was just being constructed this is an old western town things don't stay clean for long it's too clean well yeah and i mean obviously it was built for the movie so well yes that is sort of an element but it it adds to the weird otherworldliness of the setting like there there's yeah it's like an uncanny valley Mm -hmm. um and it turns out this town's got a dirty secret. It's got a lot of dirty secrets, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. So there's these three surly gunfighters. And immediately there's a tension in the room when he orders the beer. And these guys sort of challenge him, but he's not really having any of it. So he just leaves. And yep. he goes to the barbershop. He takes the bottle of beer with him. Of course. And he's like, yep, he's like shaving a bath. Yeah, and the barber's real nervous. Barber's got bad hair, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Notably, <laughs> kind of the worst hair in town. Maybe maybe because he can't cut his own... You try to cut, ever try to cut your own hair? It's no, hard. No, I have not. So, maybe like, I do get he that. has the worst hair because he's the best barber. I guess so. But he's real shaky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, he, he puts the, the lather and stuff on on Eastwood's face and he's got the straight razor and he's like, I wouldn't want that straight razor near my face the way that guy's shaking. Uh, uh, uh. And those uh, three gunfighters obviously come to cause trouble and it, it ratchets up the, the barber's tension pretty quick. Yep. But violence oh, happens. Too good to drink with us. Yeah. Violence happens really fast in this movie in again, like a horror sort of way. Like the way that these three guys get taken out definitely feels like shocking, violent horror and not like your typical triumphant Western guy guns down the bad guys kind of feeling. Hmm. I, I thought it was kind of cool, actually. It's cool. <laughs> How he shoots them through the towel. It, yeah, sure. It's cool, but it's not 
played like it's fun. Like you have the horror score. You do like a horror oh, thing yeah. for it. Uh, yeah. It's dark. The The first guy is shot right between the eyes in the head and like goes down uh, just, you know, dead weight. Like you, you see someone get shot in the head. That doesn't again, that's still not really a common thing in Western movies. Yeah, I guess I guess we, we kind of got used to it with Sartana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I, I'm pretty used to it. But still very uncommon, especially in an American Western. Because, you know, that was an Italian Western. They, they oh, went yeah, a lot that's harder. right, too. Yeah. Like, this is, you know, nine years after Fistful, so some of that had started to bleed in. But, like, if you compare this to Hang 'em High, Eastwood's first Western from after coming back from doing those, uh, it, it really shows a contrast to how much cleaner the American Westerns were at the time. Mm, okay. Yeah, I you know, I might not have ever seen an American Western then. Uh, Maybe. Of that, from that era, at least, like those, right, right, those clean ones. There's a lot of them. They're they're interesting. Like they're they're much more just like iconography of the West. Uh, there there's a lot of interesting stuff there, but it's it's kind of a different flavor. Okay. But like yeah, so he you know he he massacres these three guys. They they all go down really fast. The third guy just goes out through the front window of the barber shop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And everybody in town is just kind of watching, like, through their windows, but still not saying anything. Right. The the first person to finally approach him is, of course, Mordecai, uh, played by Billy Curtis, uh, who most notably was the hero in Terror of Tiny Town, uh, famously, uh, <laughs> quote-unquote, all-midget western. Very strange movie from the 30s that... Yeah, he's the Western hero. Just, you know, he he rides on a pony and uh, everything is built really big. Like everything is built normal sized, but it's exclusively little people for the entire town. So it seems weird that they would build it that way. (laughs) Well, that's how how big doors are. (laughs) I guess so. I guess. Uh, It's... It's it's a strange movie, but I, I do find it very interesting that Billy Curtis as the hero is our only pure character in town. Like he's, he's the only one who doesn't deserve punishment. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And he's the one who has that great line uh, where, you know, he talks to Eastwood for a little bit and he said, what did you say your name was again? I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, no, no, I he's like, no, I guess okay. you didn't. No. And lights his cheroot for him. Like, okay. I, I can get with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we run into our first, arguably most problematic scene. It happens very quickly. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, right here. So um, he runs into Callie, uh, who I, I describe in all caps in my notes as an uppity lady, I guess. Is kind of <laughs> the, the idea that we're working with here. Uh, More like she runs into him. She literally like collides with him because she's not watching where she's going or maybe kind of intentionally collides I with him. I feel like it was I felt like it was intentional because it, yeah. there was so much room. Yeah, it's a tiny town with nine houses <laughs> and nobody's going out into the street because they got to stare menacingly at Clint Eastwood. 
like I would assume that she is not aware somehow that he just murdered three guys or she probably wouldn't have done this because she yeah. is a bit worried about it later on. But here, you know, she she gets in a fight with him and she is obnoxious, to be fair. <laughs> She's yeah, she but... annoying. But yeah, it gets bad. It gets bad. <laughs> he uh, um, he he. Uh, well, let's not dance around it. He rapes her in uh, in the stable. Yeah, it's, it's, but it's a very specific kind of 70s thing that was really common, uh, the 60s and 70s especially, of uh, what you call the kisser in her until she likes it. Ah, uh, yes, yes, that's exactly what it was, but uh, I still don't like it. Yeah, but she does. Uh, she she ultimately does. And it's, it's interesting because they, like, again, it's played kind of self-consciously nasty. Like they're they're following the trope, but they don't let you forget it. Like it comes yeah. back a bunch of times in the movie. She is very serious about it every time. And like it's not played funny. Like she gets into it ultimately, but at first, but, like it, it is played unpleasant. Like they 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 linger on it. And that's yeah. like again, it's interesting, this sort of weird self-examination. Yeah, I, I was I was kind of waiting for something to interrupt this scene so that he didn't rape her, and uh, nope, no. <laughs> doesn't come. Nothing comes. Uh, no, because Mordecai ultimately watches. Yeah, and you know everybody's sort of aware of something going on, and she just gets into it. And so, question, uh, spoilers, sort of. He is a vengeful ghost in this movie. So, does he have supernatural sex powers? Because this isn't the only time this happens. <laughs> Um, if it's necessary to extract vengeance, then yes. I maybe. mean, I guess so. Maybe he was uh, just always really good at it. Maybe. But he is a different body now. Like, he didn't look like Clint when he was alive. Because we see I, him alive. Well, that's okay. So my theory is he's not the ghost of the person who died. But when the guy died, he cursed the town to hell and Clint is what came of that. Like, Clint so, is what was summoned, is what I think. So do you feel that Clint is the devil? A devil. Okay. Uh, not the devil, but just a spirit that was, or, you know, a, a being that was brought here to fuck this town over and then leave. Maybe. Because, like, I, I did see him as intended to be the spirit of Marshall Duncan, Marshall Jim Duncan, I think it is. Well, we find at the end. He, his last line implies that he could be. Yeah, that, so that there is, is sort that. of the implication. And like the 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 way he reacts to whip cracks and stuff, like do, does sort of suggest like he winces when he hears a whip crack, and it's like, it, mm. it, and that's when we first get the flashback, which sort of suggests that he's got some sort of uh, complex about it. Like it it, it does bother him. Oh, but yeah. it's hard to say. He, he does seem to be demonic in a lot of ways. <laughs> well, I had the uh, so the way I clocked this was <laughs> he he was summoned to this town. At first, he didn't know why. Um, so you remember, of course, I never, I still haven't seen the show, but the book version of the stand, <laughs> Randall Flagg doesn't really know that he's the devil. He's just like, I don't know. I'm just here to do this shit. 
Um, I don't really know why. That's just kind of what I'm here to do, and I'm going to do it. To my recollection, that isn't really the deal with Randall Flagg. It's more that that's the image he projects. Oh, okay, okay. And that Um, he fully knows what he's doing at all times. He he plays... He has a different face for everybody that he talks to. Like he has different oh, yeah, that's to true. make Whereas, with everyone. Whereas, yeah, okay, okay, it's not really similar then, maybe. But I just kind of had this feeling like he didn't know what he was in this town to do until he had this vision. Hmm. And he's like, oh, okay, so this is why these people gotta die. Because maybe he was, maybe he was like, just a vengeful, vengeful. I don't know. Just like a Ghost Rider-esque spirit of vengeance wandering the West? Yeah, or just wandering specifically from nowhere to this town, and then from the town back to nowhere. I think this is the year that Ghost Rider was introduced by Marvel Comics. Clint Eastwood as Ghost Rider would have been kind of rad. Kind of would have. Although, obviously, like, the Flaming Skull is not something they could have done in the 70s in terms of effects work. Really, uh, but it would have been rad. Maybe even animated version. Uh, So he he gets a room at the hotel, and he sleeps, and he has a dream slash flashback of uh, the marshals' gang whipping murder. Uh, Quite brutal. Yep. So, um, oh yeah, it's it's really brutal, and it's it's a long scene too, and. Every single, like most notably, we've got the three main guys doing the whipping and him begging for his life. And every single person in town watching it and doing nothing. Some of them, like the innkeeper, even is smiling, has this has the scary, shiny glasses thing going on. Yeah. Some of them are are like, yes, this is what we wanted. Right. Nobody's stopping it. In this first scene, we don't see most of them clearly. Like, there's a handful of them that we do see. Like, the innkeeper, we know he's bad news right from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, and he's going to be the one who is most resistant to uh, Clint the whole time. But uh, we we get the scene a little bit later and see it much more in full when we see it from uh, Mordecai's perspective. But this time, most of them are sort of in shadow. So you're like, yeah. this seems like a lot of the people in the town. <laughs> Yeah. And then, like, later it's revealed, like, it was all of the people in the town. <laughs> it was everybody except maybe the right. keeper's wife. Maybe. Yeah, I would say she's the only one who directly objects, but we don't know that yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And and he yells, damn you all to hell, notably. Uh-huh. Uh, and so that's his curse on them. And then so we, we cut to the next morning where he goes to the barber shop for the bath that was interrupted by him killing three men. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you still owe me a bath. And is this this is where we meet the sheriff. Yeah, the sheriff is there and he's like, I want to talk to you about that massacre yesterday, right? <laughs> this sheriff is I, I kind of love him, but he's kind of just a sad sack of crap. He's very useless, but he's aware of how useless he is. Oh, yes, he is. He he knows that he sucks. And, like, there are times when Clint Eastwood is like, man, so you, you just didn't do anything? And it's like, I just got this job because the other guy died and they gave me this thing. I don't want to do this. 
Yeah, so he's basically saying, well, you know, those those three guys that you killed here. Um, of course, uh, there's know. no charges because, you know, those nobody are liked. Them, yeah. But... <laughs> but you put us in kind of a position, you know. <laughs> See, they were going to they were going to save us from these other three guys who were the hired guns of this town who uh, ended up going to jail. And now they're real mad and going to take it out on us for some reason. Don't know this, why. This town has kind of an uh, old lady who swallowed the fly prop. <laughs> oh my god, it super does. <laughs> it keeps hiring these bad men to solve its problems, and then they need a badder man to solve the problem of the bad man. Yeah. Just one after another. Uh, but then, of course, this is interrupted by Callie, who shows up to shoot at him because of the rape yesterday. He just vanishes into the water of the bath and is unscathed. Huh. Uh, Yeah, you know, I thought... I thought at first, I was like, wow, he was really lucky. Really, really lucky. And he remains underwater for quite a bit of time while they hustle her out of there, and she shoots like four or five times into the water. Yeah, but but he can't hold his breath forever. I mean, maybe he can. (laughs) Then God help us all. Yeah, and like he comes up and like, hmm, that was annoying. <laughs> but, yeah, um, I, I, like I, he was down there long enough. I honestly thought he found like some secret trap door in the bathtub that would somehow not drain all the water. Uh, no, he's a ghost. He's a ghost. Uh, but I, I like the subtlety of it. That it's just like he can just sort of bend reality as a ghost. Like he, yeah, he doesn't, I just didn't doesn't even clue to... into it at the first time. It's like yeah. I just thought he was like, wow, he's got that Clint Eastwood luck. Well, and that's it, too. Like, again, the the whole self-examining element of this movie, that it's just sort of uh, he he can he, he, he is a Western hero, so he's never going to be scathed by any of these things. But it has that additional level of he's a ghost. So that's why <laughs> he's the perfect <laughs> hero. Yeah. He's all, uh, the, the best hero is a dead hero because uh, they can do anything. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we cut to the Lago Mine Company board meeting. These guys are real corrupt. Just out of the oh, bat. Yeah. Th- this feels a lot like Sartana, our, our coalition of baddies who run the town in Sartana. Not as colorful as the Sartana villains, but... True. These guys feel more just like classic American capitalists. They're corrupt. Yeah. They need protection because their hired goons are dead. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, One thing that the the one guy said that kind of stuck with me is like, it's in the best interest of the company and the town, which is always one and the same. Right. Company town. Company towns. And that guy, the main board guy for Lago Mine... He is interesting because he is behind Eastwood all the way until the very end. Like he's the one guy. He's like, I mean, hey, we we we're gonna just work with him. We'll we'll play the long con. We'll just work with him. Where and everybody else kind of chafes against it. He's the one guy. He's like, nope, we're sticking with this plan until well, he blows it at the end. <laughs> well, maybe he figures that after Eastwood is taking care of the three guys some other stranger is going to ride into town and he can hire him to take care of Eastwood. And then 
hopefully that stranger doesn't fuck everything up. Well, it, and if he does... Of, it kind of does sound like that's his plan when when it's referenced later on that they come back to him when he's like, well, maybe he'll uh, catch a bullet somehow. And I don't know <laughs> yeah. how he figures that's going to happen because <laughs> no one in town is capable of shooting and they're not even capable of trying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no... <laughs> It's, it's you know, we, we've run into this a bunch of times before. It's one of those question marks profit kind of yeah. uh, plans that he's got going. He's like, well, I know how this could happen, but he doesn't really seem to be putting anything in motion for it to happen. No, <laughs> no. Uh, so Callie shows up to the meeting to cuss everybody out. Like, again. This yeah. guy raped me. You're going to hire him? I don't appreciate this at all, because she's dating one of those guys. Yeah. Although um, she's dating a few different guys. I think... Yeah, I kind of think she is. I, I think it's it's not explicitly stated, but I think she is technically supposed to be a prostitute. Like, I think that's the role she actually is supposed to play in the town, and that's why she was initially with Stacy, the main bad guy. Mm, Although we be. won't learn that until like the second to last scene. Oh right, she yeah, for, I forgot that she was with Stacy. Yeah, and she she kind of explains it to him of the other guys she's been with, and it does kind of sound like she fell into sex work after he left, but maybe she already was, and that's why they were together. I don't know, not very clear, but that is an impression I get. Hmm. But she's interesting. She's an interesting character for really going against the grain of everybody else. Yeah, well that's that's one thing I've noticed about uh about this movie is that it's only the female characters uh who were able to like actually stand up to Clint to his face. Everyone else will either use dirty sneak attack tactics or talk shit behind his back or do absolutely nothing at all. Yeah, they're the only ones who assert themselves in any way. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting. Very, very interesting note. Uh, so th- th- this is where the sheriff kind of exposits about the bad guys. They're like, OK, Stacy and his dudes are getting out of jail real soon. They swore revenge on the town. We kind of railroaded them through the trial. They were bad guys. <laughs> and and he like kind of gives the whole spiel he gives away is like okay so listen we did plant some of that evidence under their floorboards but they whipped the marshal to death what were we to do they're bad guys yeah oh yeah i forgot about the like i didn't quite follow like the bit with the gold and all that but it's less important than the murder i guess although it happens to be the reason for it yeah like it's this whole thing we we learn much later on that those guys were also hired to whip the marshal or to kill the marshal not necessarily whip him to death i think maybe that was their own cruel twist on it because they are kind of psychotic bad guys oh yeah they are but you know they they ultimately were hired by the town to take care of the sheriff because the sheriff knew too much mm-hmm. <laughs> and then you know the, these guys were obviously psychotic and dangerous so they figured well we'll just railroad them to jail will plant some evidence on them, even though obviously everyone saw them kill the marshal. <laughs> they couldn't admit yeah. to that one because then everybody was watching them kill the marshal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it's it's like the one guy says, it's like, if one of us hangs, the whole town hangs. Yeah. 
which so, is uh, turns out to be happens to explain why they're so uh, don't want outsiders around. Can't right. have anyone finding out what's happened. Yeah. So the marshal, or not the marshal? Uh, I guess it's the the sheriff and the company guy. Uh, yeah. And they go to talk to Eastwood, and he's like, you know, I'll tell you how to do it. And it's like, you put a guy there, you put guys there, and he tells them where to place all the guns, how to defend themselves. The sheriff's like, I don't know, man. We we need you to lead us. I, I don't think we can do this on our own. And he's right. <laughs> they sure can't. Uh, and uh, Eastwood's like, you know, I don't really like this town. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I like this town so much. <laughs> it's a good line. Uh, yeah. I, I do like that the sheriff has this thing. It's just like, well, I don't think we're capable of doing that. <laughs> he knows. He knows his limitations. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I love that what Eastwood says to him, because he's like, I slapped the cuffs on him myself. Well, then why don't you just slap him in cuffs again? Yeah, exactly. And it's like, like, well, they were sleeping when I did it. Yeah. And he, this is where he says that thing about... The, I I didn't want this job. They gave me this star when the other guy got whipped to death. That was a horrible thing to see. He was probably yeah. just like the town drunk or something. Probably. Actually, and so, no, he feels like a town drunk. He does. He's got kind of a, a like Lee Marvin sort of energy. He, he, he doesn't have a lawkeeper bone in his body. No, not really. And so they offer the stranger anything it's like unlimited you get whatever you want the whole time you're in the town just name it and you get it and the stranger's really creative with his interpretation of this and it's kind of oh, great it's great and it starts right away because they're giving him giving him this offer and he's hanging out in the general store and then they're really rude to some natives yeah so he uh he basically says hey I'll take uh, like 20 of, of the blankets that they wanted or that they were looking at. And he hands the children all of the candy in the store. Like he just grabs the jars of candy and hands each to the kids. And, and the sheriff just looks at him, like every time he does this, the sheriff just looks at him with a smile on his face, like no charge. Yeah. Like, the, the, I mean, the sheriff is totally down with this. None of this, like he doesn't have a business. He's the sheriff. Yeah. He doesn't really need to worry about all this capitalism <laughs> shit. Yeah. Yeah. But. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I, I really like this scene. First. So the, the natives are a little uncertain. He's like, tell them it's okay. <laughs> It's like, <laughs> it's okay. So they, they take all the stuff. And then, like, he leans over and he takes all of the cigars and, like, just stuffs them all in his shirt pocket. <laughs> Gives them a smile. I really like that. Just like, hmm, all right, then. And is this is this the extent of how creative he's going to get with his anything he wants uh, proposition? Of course not. No. No. So, he, he, I mean, he's got to visit every building in town and see what he yeah. can get. So he goes. Well, some to, of what he does is actually really good for the non-capitalist people in town. Yeah. And also he, for the town itself. He's looking to diversify. He's hiring people. He's making work. He's redistributing <laughs> the wealth. He kind um, of is. He kind, Well, he makes sure. He, I, I don't know the order that he goes to them, but when he's in the gun store, he makes sure like one of whatever rifle for every single man in the place. Yeah. Um, he he outfits the whole town with guns. 
Yeah. Uh, so Which, first, when you think about it, they could have done that at any time because they had the shit and they just. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I mean, they never they were never going to. No. And ultimately, it doesn't really prove all that useful, even though he tries Not to train all. them as well. It's so but so like first he, you know, he goes and gets outfitted. He gets some new boots, a nice saddle, that really shiny belt and belt buckle. Yeah. He goes to the bar and buys everyone around a drinks. I really like this scene in the bar because this is where like they're the the mayor and the sheriff are both like, I mean, this is what we hired him to do. What what uh that that's just how it is. So he takes the mayor's sash and the sheriff's badge and is like, <laughs> All right, Mordecai, you are the sheriff and the mayor. <laughs> that's <laughs> The mayor's a little bothered by it. The mayor's like, I don't know, but the sheriff's like, all right. <laughs> He's like, great. sweet, I don't have to be sheriff no more. <laughs> I'm not going to get shot necessarily. Yeah. Uh, and then this is, it's after that that he goes to the gun store and he outfits everybody with guns and he starts running drills. Yeah, so um, the real bad. No, yeah, they're so bad. They suck at shooting. They're so bad at it. And in the midst of our first drill, we get our first uh, moment with our baddies. We we cut to uh, Jeffrey Lewis as Stacy and his two mini boss thugs getting out of jail. And immediately it's like, all right, we're heading for Lago and we're going to murder that entire fucking town. I like I, I like the warden, though, when he when he gets out of jail. Yeah. Uh, it's like, hey, Okay, we got all our stuff, but we had three good animals. Why do you think you were eating for the last six months? Yeah, and they're like, they they didn't feed us our horses, did he? And they're like, he probably sold them, (laughs) just like sold them out from under us and and, uh, made off like a bandit with it. Yeah, probably that is what he did. Most likely just (laughs) sold their horses for cash and kept it for himself. That's a hilarious thing to say. Yeah. It's funny. Uh, and so those Especially guys, since the one guy believed it. Yeah, and he's like, listen, when we get to Lago, we're going to barbecue the mayor's horse for you. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> and then we yeah, cut back so to the town in the walking. middle of the drills. Yeah. We, we don't cut back to these guys very often. There, there's two times that we come back they, to yeah. them. Uh, only one of them is useful. <laughs> yeah. Like... The, the, this movie is a little bit shaggy in places. There there are things that didn't need to be in the movie, I feel. Actually, yeah, yeah. the next scene with the three guys is just more of them walking. Oh, now they found a horse. Uh, well, the horse got a broken leg. Well, that it's that second horses. scene. It's that second one that I think is useless. The first one's kind of interesting as a demonstration of uh, their villainy. But we'll, we'll get to that. Oh, bit, yeah, right. We don't no, cut yeah, to them right. for a while. Yeah, because uh, first they're running the drills and they suck. You know, we we have uh, Mordecai on a uh, on a wagon pulling some targets, just yelling, shoot, shoot, shoot. And he's driving around and they're shooting and this is going on for a while and nobody's hitting anything. Nobody. And like Clint comes out, he I really love just the image of him standing there with a mug of beer with his pocket completely filled with cigars <laughs> just looking on top of the world but he's 
very annoyed at how bad they are. <laughs> yeah, um, my imagine I imagined that he was thinking to himself that he has literally everything in this town as his payment, and he's like, they don't pay me enough for this shit. Yeah, he's like, oh, god damn it. And there's this one guy who has a knife, and he's we 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 see him tempted to pull it, and Eastwood's like, you want that knife shoved up your ass? <laughs> and then he does a bit of trick shooting. Like these guys have been firing at this wagon that's been doing circles for like five minutes, and he yeah. just like pulls out his gun and he shoots uh, all of the targets to bits instantly, and then like without even turning to the guy. Just says, you still here? <laughs> and the guy's like, no, I'm not. And he was like, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, so the next day he starts hiring people. He he finds a couple uh, Mexican guys who are just kind of hanging around waiting for something to do. And it's like, you guys know how to build a table? I'm going to maybe uh, <laughs> arrange a big picnic for the whole town. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but where are you going to get the lumber for a table for a table that big? <laughs> and and we cut to Belding, the innkeeper, and there's like, oh well, that that's very helpful of you to. Uh, I'm I'm surprised you'd do this to tear down that nice barn for materials. It's like what? <laughs> <laughs> yep, Clint uh, had them tearing down the innkeeper's barn to build these picnic tables. And he comes back and he like goes after those guys and it's like, hey, I told these men to tear down this barn. Uh, it's like, do you do you want to help? It's like, you want me to help them tear down my barn? Like, hmm. yeah, <laughs> like, I guess. Uh, and like Mordecai is now kind of his sidekick. He's like carrying a checklist of the things that he needs. Like, this is what's needed. It's like, we could get you to do this instead. <laughs> and Eastwood's like, okay, one other thing. I need you to kick everybody out of the hotel. <laughs> yep. Uh, and and the kid's like, I have a bunch of families in here who have been living there for a while. Where are they gonna go? And I like this. He he does like a lean back and a pause, like out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just out. Just just had to remind us that he's not a hero. Yeah, because a lot of these are like old ladies and stuff that are being kicked out. True, although they also did stand around and watch him die before, true. and that—that's kind of the, uh, true. That, that's sort of an important element to all of it. <laughs> that uh, these people are all complicit in his murder and all kind of have blood on them in a way. And will the punishment kind of fits the the crime here? Like he doesn't kill any of the non-killers. Unless they try to kill him first. Yeah, he's usually. just kind of he's he's destroying businesses and uprooting people's shit. Uh, he's he's punishing them, but he is not looking to kill anyone. Uh, it's interesting. Well, he's looking to kill a few people anyway. Well, I don't like. He, well, yeah, you he's know looking, what? No, maybe he's not because he didn't even want to stay in the town. I, I feel he's here to get revenge on the whipping guys. Yeah. He knew that he was going to go after those guys, but really there there isn't anyone else he's necessarily trying to kill, but there are some that are going to have to be killed in in the course of business. Yeah. 
so th- this is our we after this we get our first cut to Stacy's gang murdering some people. They they find just three guys out in the wilderness and like bonus this is enough horses for us and they uh just murder these three guys out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Um I remember this was like kind of a brutal scene because we haven't seen any uh, brutality in a while. We've been seeing kind of funny shit so it kind of sort of yeah. came a little bit out of kind of blindsided me a little bit yeah it's harsh like they they just outright chase down and murder three people who were just you know out doing nothing uh and notably jeffrey lewis steals one of the dead guy's clothes and when we see him later he has like the place where he shot the guy in the back like a blood stain on the back of his shirt from the guy he murdered <laughs> wearing right, the clothes yeah. it's kind of cool i like that yeah, I, I like I like the like the mood whiplash that this movie does. It's all uh, over the place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's it's usually very it's always very effective, I'd say. Yeah, like it doesn't allow you to become comfortable. Uh, and, yeah. and again, this is sort of a horror way of doing things that like it, it will uh, snap you out of something like if if you're having too much fun with this character being a scary murderer, it's like. You know that that's bad, though, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, you're having too much fun. Let's let's remind you that he raped her again. Yeah, and that that's kind of the next thing is he goes on kind of a date with her. He takes her to date. eat. Is like you're you're gonna have dinner with me in the inn, which is now my house. <laughs> yeah, and she's she seems like resistant, but also like. I'll need 30 minutes to get ready, she says. Right. It, it's really much like like the old anime thing. Like, it's not like I like you anything, idiot. Yeah. Well, and, and that's actually something that he mentioned or that someone else mentioned. Maybe it was Mordecai or the barber uh, before she came in or after she came in and shot him. And like, because when he comes out of the water, he pops up and he's like, wonder what took her the the whole day to get mad about it oh yeah that's right <laughs> and yeah. uh, i think the barber says like maybe it's because you didn't go back for seconds mm, right mm. right right which is like you know uh, troubling gender politics uh, but with this character that could be the case uh certainly in the way that scene played out in a very weird sort of way but again, yeah. the problematic elements of this movie, there mm-hmm. are problematic elements. So we, we have the scene where uh, Belding has to kick everyone out of the hotel. Uh, like he, he first goes to talk to the main company guy and is like, listen, we're just going to play the long game. This is where he says, maybe he'll catch a bullet before uh, he leaves town. I don't know. And he doesn't know. I don't know how, where he thinks that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe his plan is the three guys will shoot him and then they'll, he'll have to deal with the three. He doesn't have a plan. He really doesn't. Uh, I mean, his plan seems to be take the money and run, which really doesn't work out for him. But uh, so they, they empty the hotel and the priest shows up and he gets very high and mighty about it. And Clint's like, well, if you care so much, why don't you take these people in out of Christian charity? <laughs> yeah. What What does he say? Something like, are these your brothers and sisters, too? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, and then something like, you've got room in your house or something like that. Yeah. So, and something like that. 
And so now they're think, all at the church. No, they're not. Oh no, no. They all decide he uh, the priest decrees that everyone is going to take in uh, some of the families who have been displaced at the same rates they were paying at oh, the hotel. Right. That I forgot. That. That's <laughs> gross. Isn't it? And that's like, fucking gross. Clint does the next thing to doing not a take one to the camera. More <laughs> yeah, not one says, cent like... more. Very pious. Uh, yeah. Whereas Clint obviously was suggesting that they take them in for free. You know, because yeah. this is kind of the the thrust of how he's doing things here. Uh, but yeah, I thought that was a really interesting moment. That like even the priest is kind of very into the capitalist fervor of this town, this company town. Mm-hmm. He's a company priest. He is a company priest. Uh, and people are starting to threaten Mordecai for being gung-ho behind Clint. They're like, he's not going to be around here forever, you know. And I, I think it's the mayor takes a, takes a swing at him, so he hides under the hotel. And then he starts, here's where he starts remembering, because right. he was under the floorboards uh, when the whipping happened. Well, he was just hiding under the hotel in in the yeah. same place that he is now. So he yeah. he remembers seeing it from the same vantage point. And this is the one where we see everybody's faces. They're like, yep, yeah. clearly like everybody this is... we've met so far and a bunch of people we haven't are watching this happen. Yeah, every single one of them uh, as the marshal is asking for help while being murdered. And we, we get to see everybody not caring except Mrs. Belding, Sarah Belding, the uh, wife of the innkeeper, who does want to do something, and she's upset and objecting, but the innkeeper uh, bustles her away. No, 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 this is just this is just an ordinary whipping. Don't, don't be concerned, it's fine. This is just business. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Mordecai, we see being very upset, but he's tiny, he's one man. Uh, yeah, that's the thing, like, like Mordecai isn't expected to do anything about this, but the whole town could have. Yeah. The whole town absolutely could have. And he's the only one that seems upset about that. Like he's the only one that reads as remorseful and was troubled by how he could not help. Whereas the other people could have helped. He just, he had no power to help. He's yeah. the least powerful person in town. Mm-hmm. And and those are the people that Eastwood is in favor of. Like he he hires the Mexican guys. He gives things to the natives and he puts Mordecai in a position of power, which he's never had before. And he kind of gets into sort of a weird relationship with uh, Mrs. Belding. Yeah. Uh, although that's a little bit from here. Yeah, yet. that's a bit later. But uh, yeah, because she was. She realistically, she did. Ev- she really did do everything yes. she could have done to stop the whipping. Exactly. She and Mordecai are kind of the only people who kind of have a moral ground on which to stand. Yeah. No one else even tried or even really wanted to. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I feel like everybody else is kind of in on the the company you know and and, and yeah. it's this was done to protect the company <laughs> it's oh, very yeah, robocop well, in that way yeah 
so I, we, we get another the, this is where we get the other scene of the bad guys still on their way. Uh, their horse comes up lame and they shoot it and they're complaining about it. And it's a scene that just totally unnecessary. I didn't need to see the bad guys again because I have no idea how far they are away yeah. or how <laughs> soon they're going to get here. So it just doesn't it's like, OK, so those guys are still coming. That's the plot of the movie. I did understand that already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no new developments on the yeah no this changes nothing about them coming yeah it just means they show up with two horses instead of one it's like it kind of doesn't even matter like i it don't doesn't. recall that oh, and no because they end up getting a third horse uh right when they show From up anyway the so yeah later on really a null scene yeah uh, but we get those guys now. So uh, we have a few nasty gunmen who are still hanging around town, but they're, I don't know what they they thought was going to work here. They, they, <laughs> they didn't think this through. Um, so they, they start, they punch out Mordecai because oh, Mordecai yeah, yeah. is sort of the watch guy. Yeah. He, he's got Eastwood's back and they go into the hotel because Eastwood is upstairs with Callie in his room right and she kind of sneaks out while they're sneaking in she sneaks out to let them in specifically yeah. uh and we see meanwhile to this crosscut uh belding the innkeeper is in the church loudly complaining about them working with this guy and he's like he he's taken over my hotel he's been putting these good people out of their homes and trying to rally everyone against him yeah and and uh the the only response anybody seems to have when anyone speaks out about clint is kind of the mantra of the town and kind of the reason why he's there to begin with uh if you have a problem why don't you do something about it yeah and like they don't nobody's nobody ever do does them. yeah yeah although <laughs> they're just letting him do all this shit yeah, although completely unchallenged. Callie is not, and she's letting these gunmen in to attack yeah. him, and uh, it doesn't go well. Nope. <laughs> they they all come in and they have sticks and they're beating the bed because they think he's asleep in the bed, and it just pans over and he's just outside the window with a lit stick of dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> they get blowed up. He throws in the dynamite. The room fucking explodes. The t the top level of the hotel is incinerated. Uh, he shoots two of the guys who are coming down the stairs, and the lead guy, uh, Morgan Allen, uh, takes Mrs. Belding hostage briefly, but Eastwood, without hesitation, just shoots him. Uh, but he only gets him in the shoulder because, you know, he's mostly blocked by uh, Belding. Yeah. Um, so the guy, he gets on a horse and tries to ride off. Well, he, well, he does, does ride, ride off. off, but Callie is trying to get him to take her, take him, take her with him, uh, because she's afraid that Eastwood is going to kill her for letting them in. But that's not his deal. He, he yeah, would rather yeah. just kind of have her punished like the rest of the town. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, so so Morgan, I think, was another one of the main company guys, like maybe the second in command. I kind of get the feeling. Yeah, or something like that. Something he, like that. He was involved in planting the evidence for sure, because like 
that's the beef they have with him when he shows up. Like yeah. he 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 was some sort of liaison between them and the company, perhaps. Yeah. So so yeah, he rides off after the explosion with a wounded shoulder, and uh, he manages to get away. Right, because like he he doesn't want to shoot Callie because you know shooting women isn't a thing he does. So he uh, just like lets the guy go. He'll catch up with him later, <laughs> or someone yeah, will. Or or someone will. <laughs> yeah. And he goes back to the burning hotel, the the exploded top floor. Everybody's kind of gathered there, and he's like, "All right, get four coffins ready, dig some holes." And like, <laughs> well, I mean, given all of the the uproar and everything, just do it now. <laughs> <laughs> And he's feeling mighty disagreeable about that deal now, even though they <laughs> gave him literally everything. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's he's starting to get mad about all these attempts on his life. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know. I'm I don't think I'm feeling this anymore. You're going to have to sweeten that deal. Uh, so the main company guys like I'll offer you five hundred dollars a head for taking out the bad guys. Uh, and he's like. How about $500 per ear? <laughs> he's like, okay, yeah, you got it. So uh, here he's like, the, the other guy, I, I think it's either the mayor, I think it's probably the mayor, who's like, you're going to pay him $3,000 as well? He's like, <laughs> yeah, here's where he says. Yeah. Here, it's like well, there's a maybe. difference between offering and paying. Yeah, like, who's to say he won't uh, get shot on that last day? And again, I still don't know where he thinks this guy's going to get shot. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) While also taking care of their problem. Yeah, it's not like he's got the feds coming. He will never have the feds coming. He doesn't want the feds anywhere near this place. Nor does he have... He he doesn't have anyone who is likely to shoot at him. Like, later on... We will find the mayor ready to do it, but that doesn't work out for him either. I mean, I, yeah, I just I don't really get where he plans this to happen. But I no. mean, he didn't. He just didn't plan it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, his plan is just hope. Yeah, I I hope this will work out for me. And then he goes inside, and Sarah Belding's like, "Well, I don't know what we can do. All the rooms are ruined except our room." And it cuts to him, and it's like him giving a wry smile back. I'm like, <laughs> he goes, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like he should have just not said anything. <laughs> and and this is the other kind of troubling scene where, like, he kind of hauls her to the room with him. Yeah. Yeah. And she's very confrontational at first, and she's got a pair of scissors, and she's like, we everybody in town knows that you raped uh, Callie, so I I don't I, I don't know about this, and I really like kind of all of his lines about it. He's like, "You flatter yourself, lady." <laughs> yeah, and, and she argues a bit more, and he's like, "Look, I'd love to oblige you, but a man's got to get his rest sometime. <laughs> <laughs> Give me about half an hour to get ready." Yeah, it's like if you and come back like, in half f- an hour, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and she attacks him. Like she comes at him with a pair of scissors, uh, yeah. but 
it's it's another kiss her till she likes it except she's on top of him and it's almost like the uh moonstruck thing where it's pretty mutual very quickly they start kissing and like again maybe it's he has ghost sex powers maybe because the next morning she's completely on his side like Mm -hmm. she's converted over to uh the stranger side of things she is with him all the way now her and mordecai and the sheriff (laughs) yeah and the sheriff just sort of like eh, whatever works i don't care the the sheriff is very easygoing about the whole thing yeah i I feel like he doesn't it seems almost like he doesn't understand the stakes but he does or he he does i i feel like they just don't apply to him as much as to everyone else because he's just kind of fallen into this job that he has very little intention of doing (laughs) yeah that's true uh so in the morning she asks him about marshall jim duncan if he knows about this guy i think this may be the first time we've heard the name uh Um, yeah i think it is actually and he doesn't really give any clear answer but she does get the feeling that there's some sort of weird association there. And she tells him, be careful. You make people afraid. And I really love his line in response. Uh, It's what people know about themselves inside that makes them afraid. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if we've missed it already, but there was another one where she says to him, like, I knew you were cruel, but I never knew how far you could go. You still don't. (laughs) Yeah, I think that might be when they were turning people out of the hotel that first time. Yeah, that one was like... That's a good line. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, they they bury the four dead. And we see Eastwood changing the town sign to hell. He (laughs) he just scrawls the word hell over Lago. Yeah. um, Somewhere in here he had ordered like 200 gallons of red paint. Right, that was part of uh, the checklist that Mordecai had when uh, the guys were uh, tearing down the barn. And he's like, all right, I want all of the buildings in town painted red. The priest's like, even the church? He's like, especially the church. Especially the church. (laughs) Especially Bart. But especially Lisa. Uh, And then we, we cut to the buildings arguing about Eastwood. And and this is where we get that final reveal about Belding knowing that the marshal knew things, important things that would get the mind shut down, which is why he had to die. Yeah, I think the gist is that the mine was actually on government land or something. I believe so, yeah. So anything that they had pulled up out of the mine would belong to the government. Right, exactly. Uh, company can't let that slide. Can't let that go. So that's why the marshal had to die. That's Uh, why he's got to drink the milkshake of the government. Yeah. Uh, And Sarah is not having any, and she's getting ready to just skip town. She's done with all of this. Uh, Meanwhile, we cut to Morgan Allen, who runs into our bad guys who are at a nearby quarry. And he doesn't last long. No, (laughs) no, he doesn't. But he gives them a cryptic warning. Things yeah. are different in Lago. It's not the same. You gotta help me. And I don't know Stacey, why he thought these guys were gonna help him. 
Yeah, I don't really get what his end game here was either. I don't but... think he had an end game. I think it's just desperation. It's like fuck. Of yeah, all I mean, the people I could run into. He's please. not looking good. He's, you know, he's got a bad shoulder wound. He's covered in blood. He basically falls off the horse when he gets yeah. to them. And they're like, I thought sweet. he was dead, actually. Yeah. They're just like, sweet, free horse. And Stacy stabs him with a sharpened stick. Through the neck. Through the neck. And like, Ugh. one of them says, wow, that's a lot of blood. And they cut to it and it's like, there's not really any blood. Uh, they, they, It's one of those things like, this is very much an American rather than an Italian Western that like... Mm that's a lot of blood. And like, I don't see any blood there. (laughs) They couldn't quite do that yet. Uh, But then Eastwood shows up and throws dynamite at them. (laughs) Oh yeah. Here's the, their, uh, their show off in the, their, their standoff in the quarry. Quite a bit like that one scene in Sartana. A lot like that kind of. Because again, dynamite being thrown, this ghostly person who appears to be at a bunch of different places, shooting at them from undercover. Mm Hmm. Uh, he shoots one of the guy's ears off. And like, oh, there's 500 right there. I guess so. He's already earning his <laughs> uh, bounty. What I like about this is that it serves no real purpose to him. It just makes them matter. He he yep. just wants to make them more vengeful and pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> he's just he's just trying to stir the pot. It's like, well. He'll give this these guys will give this town a little bit of what they deserve before I put them in their place. Yeah, he's intentionally going out there to make it worse. <laughs> well, oh, oh, right. And he's not even intending to put them in their place ever at this point. No, well, like he he sort of is. He's he's planning to deal with them ultimately when he has to. But I, guess I, I feel like he knows that the town is not going to come through with the ambush. Yeah. He just kind of wants to leave them to stew in their failure for a bit. Yeah. Uh, So he returns back to the town while they're, you know, swearing, I'm going to kill everyone in that town now. (laughs) Burn that whole town to the ground. (laughs) Yeah. Like they were. (laughs) I mean, it was their plan all along. It was their plan all along, but now they're they're really renewed fire in their eyes. Yeah. So he returns and the town has been painted blood red. And this is so cool. Um, So cool. From from the distance, it looks like little like Monopoly hotels. It's so cool. Like just that that look of it from a great distance on the lake. Just every building red with the sign saying hell. It looks so fucking cool and eerie. Looks even better at nighttime. Well, and it looks even better up close because you yes. get the messiness of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, they splattered paint on the windows to look like blood and on the curtains. Because it's splashed. It's dripped. It was a fast job. Everyone has splotches of it on their clothing. Again, because they all metaphorically have blood on them. Uh, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so... Eastwood and his metaphors. Yeah. And, and I, I, I just really I love like it, that. but I never catch them. The the blood running down the windows and everything like it looks like this town has seen an intense massacre in a lot of well, ways, and it kind of has. It's about to, uh, and uh, they yeah, they have a big big banner saying "Welcome home, boys," which is funny. <laughs> and the picnic tables. 
the picnic tables spread across the town with a whole lunch on them ready so they tore down he tore down the guy's barn just to piss off these guys even more i love it yeah there's no purpose to it these guys were not going to come into town and break bread and (laughs) have like a peaceful meeting that was never going to (laughs) happen and they're insulted by the by the idea oh yeah they and so he he's like, you go up the bell tower and start ringing the bell when you see them. And the bell starts ringing. He's like, well, gets on his horse and heads the other way out of town. <laughs> like, yeah, so long. First, well, he doesn't yeah. say anything. He just like he very slowly walks his horse away from town. And everybody's just looking at him. He's like, surely what? he's checking to see that we're in our positions, right? Or um, uh, he's he's not coming back, is he? And, like, he fades away into the distance as the bad guys actually start heading into town on the other side. And they're like, well, I guess we got to deal with this now. (laughs) They are enraged. They're so mad. They, like, they're lassoing the tables and pulling them over. They're pulling people over the tables to break them. Yeah. And the guy, like the townspeople just totally blow the ambush. They're all in place. They've got guns. They're in high positions. And they suck. They can't do it. They completely ineffective. Just no, every one of them. Nothing. Like some of them get knocked off roofs. A couple people get shot. But I think most of them fare okay. They just, you know, they lose very rapidly. They're no good. Uh, yeah, notably, I think the sheriff got shot. I think the sheriff maybe gets shot off of a roof. Um, the guy who is in the bell tower gets shot. Yeah. Uh, I and maybe there's one other guy. I know the barber falls off the roof, but I don't think he gets shot. And the main company guy takes the money out of the safe and tries to run somewhere. I don't know where he thought he was going because he's in the lake and gets shot down. <laughs> yeah, um, and that's the end of him. This guy. This, this know, was this his plan. Got middle manager written all over him. <laughs> he was. He. This guy was just. He fell upward. That's how he got his position. It seems like that. Because this he was the one over and over again. It's like, well, maybe something will happen to him. And all along, it seems like his plan was to just take the money from the safe and run when there was chaos. Into <laughs> his secret submarine? I don't know where he was headed. Because, like, <laughs> this is such an incredibly open landscape that you can see for miles and miles. Like... <sighs> That's why we've had these big panoramic shots of like we're yeah. way up on the hill and we see the whole town and the lake behind it. And it's just so empty and open. Uh, I don't know where he's headed. one of his half plans. It's, I guess so. I'll just run to somewhere. There will be chaos and noise and I'll just get away. Uh, but it doesn't work out for him. No, it does not. And it pretty much very rapidly cuts to nighttime with the baddies having terrorized the townspeople. And now they're just hanging out in the bar and everybody's there and they're kind of holding court about how mad they are about everything. Yeah. Uh, and that like Callie shows up and you know, they, he, he goes through the stuff about her uh, not being faithful to him or something. And she's like, no, oh, I was yeah. waiting for you all along. Right. Right. And, and like they're, starting to head out but cole is at the door and he's like i want to know everyone who it was who ambushed us and right he starts it's there's like here 
there's like a moment of tension and then a whip curls around his neck and pulls him out of the door. <laughs> yeah. Here, here's where we got like the horror part where he becomes Michael Myers. Yeah. Like it is a slasher movie thing. Like he is just suddenly pulled outside by a whip. There's a ring of fire outside around uh, the, the section that he pulls him out and he just fucking whips him to death while everyone is inside listening. Yep. And then he just throws the whip in over the saloon doors. Uh, and Stacy's like, okay, everybody out. We're going to figure out what's going on here. I, I'm not into this. And it's interesting that nobody does anything while they're listening again. Of course. <laughs> like, well, someone's being oh, whipped to death. Just another town whipping. Yeah. And everybody surrounds the body until Eastwood throws a stick of dynamite again. <laughs> but it's now, just... Now, this... Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, it's just a decoy. <laughs> oh, yeah, right, right. This So this was just a decoy to scare everyone away. Um, they they all cool scatter. When we, yeah, when we do see Eastwood, he's just in silhouette here. We never actually right. see his face. Yeah, he's, he's just kind of in the shadows doing these things. Like, the other bad guys, like, the horses are gone. So he's disappeared the horses while they yeah. were in there. And it's just a really cool horror western sequence of these baddies creeping around through a burning town like much of the building is are on fire there's a whole ring of fire in the town square uh, uh they're all red of course there's a bunch of smoke right just every building is red uh it it looks like hell uh mm-hmm. and uh, the the second guy uh, i don't have his name is cole stacy and a third guy but third guy is uh, grabbed by a whip from above as well and hung, lynched. Yep. And then Stacy is the last guy left, and he's like creeping around, and Eastwood is whispering from the shadows, "Help me!" <laughs> <laughs> Which is really eerie. Yep. I fucking dig that. That's so oh, cool. Oh yeah. Uh, and then of course, ultimately, he guns him down. And then the mayor tries to shoot Eastwood, that being done. He's like, okay, I, I follow through on the plot the company man had in mind. Uh, but then Mordecai kills the mayor. Yeah. It's like, well, I guess I'll be the one who helps him catch a bullet. Oh, no, no. No, no. Uh, and of course, yeah, Mordecai steps up and is able to do the heroic thing and save him this time. Although... I feel like he couldn't have been killed ultimately. Not here. Probably now. not. No. no. And then the next morning he rides out of town. Uh, we see Mordecai finishing up the tombstone for Marshall Duncan. Oh yeah. That, that was like a part, a big part of the thing. Duncan, uh, his grave was never marked. Right. That was like a big, uh, source of like. Mordecai is the one who says, cares. Yeah. Yeah. But nobody else like it's it's a thing that Mordecai is upset about. And also the thing the ghost is presumably upset about because he's mm-hmm. in an unmarked grave. Yeah. But yeah, Mordecai finishes up the tombstone. They salute each other and he vanishes back into the heat haze like a mirror of the opening image. He just rides into it and disappears. Yep. The end. It was pretty freaking rad. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, 
it's fun, but also like scary and weird. And it's very cerebral. Like it's an interesting examination of the Western hero and specifically the Western hero, the anti-hero that uh-huh. Eastwood kind of created. Like Eastwood is the first Western anti-hero in a, in pop culture basically like the first major one anyways oh yeah yeah i guess i guess he would be wouldn't he i think so like i mean i'm sure there had been some elements of that but like he's the first big iconic one as the man with no name and this is totally riffing on that this is him like oh yeah let's look at that a little bit more what's with that is that cool (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's it you know we don't I don't really feel like he's made a judgment on the man with no name because it's like he's not that good, but he does ultimately do good things. But we don't call him a hero. Yeah, he's an arbiter of violent justice Uh, and justice isn't necessarily uh, pleasant or fun. (laughs) Justice can be brutal (laughs) uh, and scary and, you know, just uh sometimes justice involves uh people being ruined and killed yeah, so, so, sometimes sometimes it just involves redistributing the wealth and you gotta do some of that too gotta do uh, some so of that. so this is replaced in the stacks with the vault of horror uh this is an amicus horror anthology amicus was sort of one of these major uh british uh, kind of a horror-focused studio in the 70s. They're sort of a competitor to Hammer Pictures. Okay. And this is their sequel to their anthology movie of Tales from the Crypt. So this is... Oh. Vault of Horror was another EC comic. And it's a, an anthology of stories from old Tales from the Crypt and Vault of Horror stories. Oh, cool. Uh, it's these people who are trapped in a basement talking about their recurring nightmares. So it's sort of like a bottle episode of a TV uh, show. <laughs> oh, right on, right on. Uh, I haven't seen this one. I have seen their Tales from the Crypt, which is, you know, fun. I My understanding is it's, you know, not super great, but, you know, it's a chill hangout kind of thing. Cool, cool. So any last thoughts on High Plains Drifter before we move on? I guess I should mention this is the only Eastwood movie that has a Beastie Boys song named after it, based on <laughs> great song so far oh actually no they're not making yeah no music anymore, there, there are, are no more beast of boys one of them has died uh but uh yeah great song from paul's boutique their best album i would say oh cool cool i i don't know it you should listen to it it rocks hit the motherfucker's face with the cue ball uh great song <laughs> Uh, so, yes, uh, we'll head on to our second feature, unless you've got anything further. Uh, no, I think I think we've covered it. All right. And we're back for part two, where we're discussing Sam Raimi's unfairly kind of little scene, 1995, The Quick and the Dead. So so this wasn't seen by a lot of people. I thought this I would have thought this would be a huge hit. It feels like it should have been a gigantic hit. It's so much fun. Uh it it was kind of a flop. Uh it, it uh was sort of seen as a failure. Uh it, it was seen as too much, you know, too <laughs> too much Sam Raimi for Well It's he, very Sam Raimi. I feel like he tones it back a little bit until the end 
I mean, busiest. I, I mean, busiest camera in the West. Like well, it's, it's yes. not so much just the gore. It's the camera is so constantly moving. You have so many smash zooms. Oh my god! Yeah, before like every fight. Well, like uh, you'll get not just before every fight, or, like seventeen times before every fight, like every second before every fight. Yeah, yeah. Like it'll just be a series of smash zooms into clocks and faces, and you know, like there there is a, a Leone element to that. Like it's it's doing those classic Leone uh, montages of you know people's faces and you know the the atmosphere of the place. Yeah. Uh, but it's a lot. It's it's a lot more wild than anything I've seen from uh, <laughs> that era. Yeah, it's the Sam Raimi version of that. It's the the one that's infused with the Three Stooges slapstick, and uh, it's well, it's definitely what if the Evil Dead guy made a western? It is like it it has incredible Sam Raimi energy. Maybe the most Sam Raimi energy of all of his films, like this or Evil Dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I would say more so than Evil Dead 2 or Army of Darkness. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Because it's just, like, it's so stylish. It's incredibly stylized. Oh, yeah. Although it's it's also very Sharon Stone's picture. True. And Um, she's kind of great in it. Oh, yeah. Would you say? Yeah. Yeah. No, she's she's the hero in this one. Um, You don't see a lot of female-led westerns she was like nominated for worst actress at the razzies this year for this and her other work uh like just all of her films this year yeah i mean that's a that's a crappy organization to begin with but yeah uh, it's weird because this movie's great and she's great in it like i I don't i can't even figure it right i don't get it so we start with actually a very similar shot um to True. the yeah <laughs> to uh, high plains drifter we've got a person who I, I thought was a man at first because you know i assumed uh on a horse riding it's a long shot uh or like a like a long panned out zoom mm-hmm. uh, of her riding through the plains yeah uh, we don't know it yet but this is this is sharon stone our hero um, the lady. I've got her written down in my notes as Lady, and then I found out that that's what they call her. That's the Guess name what of the I character. have Leonardo's character written down as in my is notes. Is he the kid? He was the kid, and then <laughs> he, he was the, the kid. kid. Yeah, like, it is a movie of archetypes. <laughs> I literally guessed right, like, two-thirds of the names of the people in this. Yeah, I mean, they are all very distinct uh iconic characters like each of them is kind of a weird western type and the point is just to have all of them gun down each other until there's only one left standing (laughs) what a brilliant concept the who would win of western archetypes yeah uh and that's so sam raimi right like it's the sort of thing you come up with when you're 12 and deciding like Oh man, you know it would be the coolest version of this genre. That that's kind of how he designs a movie. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah, because this is kind of like, well, who would win in a fight between uh, John Wayne and the Man Without a Name? Yeah, there's some of that in there. Yeah, for for some reason, when we flash back to the villain when he's younger, kind of reminds me of John Wayne there, and I don't know why. 
Hmm. I don't know if it's intentional or not. Totally could be. I mean, Hackman is fucking legend. One of the greatest of all time, easily. Uh, And he's pretty great in this, too. Although, reportedly, he did not have a great time making this movie. He did not. He kind of clashed with the constant camera movements of Sam Uh, Raimi. (laughs) It was not his style of filmmaking. He likes to do takes in a long shot because he's more of a classical actor and kind of always a bad-tempered kind of dude. Like, it, it comes through in his characters and it's kind of what makes them pop so much is they have his innate irascibility. I thought he was having fun. Aww. I mean, certainly he seems to be having fun with the character at times. Like yeah. he's doing some great stuff. So, um, yeah. So our first scene, uh, we've got some rando drunk, like some rando guy just digging for apparently some hidden gold that he can't seem to remember the location of. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she and he shoots uh, the writer. Um, right. Oh, Sharon yes. Stone. So Sharon Stone. Uh, here we have like a first person b- shot with like the right. rifle directly in the middle of the screen, like right out of doom. Yeah. Uh, shoots her. Um, and and we get like things like bullet eye view. We we, we yeah. see we travel with the bullet as the camera. Like the, that is the sort of constant visual uh, energy of this movie, and it's kind of overwhelming. I, I, maybe that was the problem people had with it in 1995: is that well, it was maybe. so much more amplified than what you were getting in cinemas. That could be. That could be. Um, so she's obviously not dead. Uh, no. And she comes up and basically kicks the guy's ass and ties and chains him up to a busted wagon wheel and then leaves. And yeah, a great like use of horizon and just the, the wagon wheel silhouetted against sky, yeah. things like that. Um, I, I, I think it's interesting that we have our character shot and seemingly killed as the beginning of the movie. Again, sort yeah. of setting up this <laughs> avenging ghost coming into town. And she does uh, that a couple times. Yeah. Yeah, she does. In fact, the last time she does it, I thought it was real. Right. Cause in it's the set up that it the would set up of the movie, it's yeah. actually kind of more uh, realistic than you normally get with these fake outs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so now we have her her riding into town, and these people have to stop what they're doing and stare at her menacingly. But their reason is a little bit different because every single person riding into this town is a horrible murderer because the town leader is having a murderer contest. Yeah, uh, gunfighter March Madness. Uh, yep. they, they have a whole bracket set up and everything. I I love the concept of just old west battle town like there's it's not feasible (laughs) no like how does this town exist the rest of the year uh if everybody is there to just kill each other uh well it exists (laughs) because john harrod says it does yeah i mean it's his town it's his contest town but it it feels as we've talked about before it feels like something from an anime (laughs) It's, it does. This feels like an anime western. Yeah, or like a, a sports anime. You know, the the tournament anime. Like it, it's oh, got yeah. that 
that weird energy that's kind of heightened and ridiculous and it's just like well this is the fight town yeah <laughs> and then ev- everybody competes to be in charge uh, yeah so she gets into the inn and she's like i want a room and the innkeeper doesn't even look and is all like whores upstairs what i said whores <laughs> upstairs so she kicks the stool that he's on and basically like smashes him yeah and uh we quickly establish her capability yeah yeah so here's where we start seeing people entering the bar uh we get our first guy uh gambler a gambler type guy who puts an ace in his deck for everybody he kills uh i just wrote him down as ace turns out his name is ace his name is ace uh played by the great lance henriksen yeah yeah. Uh, bishop from aliens and uh the the main guy in millennium the tv series millennium sister series to x-files do you ever watch that um no i never did i I did watch the lone gunman though oh lone gunman that was i liked that show and their (laughs) their return to the series was very depressing yeah (laughs) (laughs) because the the a tangent but whatever uh the the reason they killed them off in the main series was because that show had been canceled and they were kind of miffed that the fans had let them down that the show got such ratings so they killed them off and they kind of felt bad about it later because like i guess now we can't use those characters and that's kind of (laughs) oh dang (laughs) it is a drag yeah (laughs) anyway yeah, so here we learn that the guy who owns this town is a, a rich guy named John Herod. Um, and he's or, also the sheriff. He's the sheriff, the mayor, the god. Yeah, he's the guy in charge because he's the best gunfighter. Yes. Um, and he basically he collects a, insane taxes from everybody in this town. And uh, and she's like, well, what what does he give them in return? It's like the town gets to live. Yeah, it's a kleptocracy. Uh, And it's interesting. It's kind of a company town where the company is Gene Hackman shoots you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The company is him and his his minions who are absolutely no threat whatsoever. Yeah, it's weird. They have he has all these guys with guns who ensure that the competition runs smoothly, but they never do anything until they all get gunned down at the end. Like they don't yeah. even have names. Yeah. Um so uh so Lady steps out to get her shoes shined and we see our second contestant, guy named Scar. He just broke out of prison and he walked wandered into the bar. And the shoe shiner's like, uh, step aside. So she steps aside and he's like immediately, or no, somebody else is immediately thrown out of the bar. Uh, yeah, uh, Scar's played by the great Mark Boone Jr. Love this guy. Classic and character actor who's in just everything. It kind of reminds me of the opening of the ugly character in The Good, the Bad, the Ugly. Oh, yeah, it is a very Tuco-esque entrance. Uh, he's in Too Fast, Too Furious. Uh, he's oh. in Die Hard 2. Uh, he's in Memento. He's a regular. He's one of the main characters on Sons of Anarchy. Oh, okay, cool. This is one of these dudes. He's been in stuff forever. 
I've even seen in the very first movie he was in Variety, where he's uh, wanting to buy porn at a porno theater <laughs> in the early 80s. So, yeah, so Scar then guns down the guy who's running away who just got thrown out of the bar. <laughs> and his deal is he cuts a scar on him on his own body every time he kills somebody. And he's got a lot of scars. He's got a lot of scars. Want to know how I got all these scars? <laughs> I did I it to myself. <laughs> I used a knife every time I killed somebody. Uh, and uh, the, the, the I blind, need to workshop this. <laughs> the, the blind shoeshine boy is also a very important character. Uh, yes. Um, I didn't write him down in my notes at all because I did not realize how important he would end up being. Right. Uh, he doesn't have a name as far as I can tell. I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, he's just, you know, the blind shoeshine boy, but he is important and he sort of uh, helps out. He, he's this game is very or this 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 movie is very video gamey uh, yeah. as well. And he's like the, the character that dispenses power ups. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Kind of, like, yeah, I know uh, he is. Like what in in Mega well, Man, you know the the oh, little guy who comes oh, the in little and guy his with head the, pops up. His head pops. Pop, it's like pops a up. lid. Yeah, he, yeah. And like like ammo comes out or He's or that. <laughs> <laughs> or a weapon to change the color of your clothes and shoot things. Yeah, he's that. He's totally that guy. You're right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, now we're we're here. We're learning about the contest. Uh, it's a quick draw <laughs> contest. Uh, it is a tournament. Uh, the final prize is $123,000. Um, and we're meeting the rest of our contestants here. Uh, and so got... the rules. Oh, yes, the rules. Uh, any contestant can challenge anyone else, and the the challenges cannot be refused. Yeah. Everyone has to fight once every day. And uh, either at, at first, it's either the contestants yields or dies. Yeah. One uh, or the other. It changes but later. It, it changes later. Uh, our, our John Herod, of course, is someone who likes to change the rules as it suits him. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. So our first guy, um, we've got Gutsen, a Swedish champion. Uh, big dude, big beard. Uh, it's played by Sven Oli Thornson, uh, another oh. great character actor, dude. Like th this movie is just unbelievably uh, stacked. It really is. Th this dude was like a buddy of uh, Schwarzenegger because he was a bodybuilder oh. dude. So he's in like every Schwarzenegger film in tiny roles. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah. Uh, we have Ace Hanlon, our gambler guy. Oh. Uh, oh. Sven Oli Thornson was uh, the teacher in that Beyond the Door 3, a muck train oh. movie we watched. Remember that? <laughs> really? Holy shit. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we have the gambler guy, Ace Hamlin. Uh, we have Leonardo DiCaprio as the kid. And I think Kevin Conroy as Eugene. Conway. Yeah. Conway. Oh, not the same guy I'm thinking of then. Very similar names. Uh, Kevin Conway. Again, yeah, he's a dude who's in just everything. Uh, let me think. What, what's a big one? Uh, oh, man, I can't remember. He He's just one of those dudes. <laughs> like a lot of these people, of course. I, yeah. I think he's Canadian. Uh, 
Uh, we have Keith David as Cantre- as Colonel Cantrell or Sergeant he's, Cantrell or something. He's a hired gun and he's super cool because he's Keith David. Yep. It's like and he, he he mentions his name and the guy writing it down is like, how do you spell that? Correctly. <laughs> uh, Keith David just uh, always oozing coolness. Uh, uh-huh. he, I, I, we've we've covered we've him covered at least because we did at the least thing. once for sure. We did the thing. He was in They Live, of course. Oh, yes, of course. That's uh, right. <laughs> very important uh, role for him. And fantastic in both of them. Oh, yes. As he is here, um, although he doesn't get a lot to do. Yeah, ultimately. he's only in a few scenes here. Yeah. Uh, we have Spotted Horse. Um, so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Spotted Horse cannot be harmed by bullets. He has been shot so many times, and he's just kept all of these bullets. And he, he, He's not bulletproof. No. They go into him. <laughs> he just doesn't die from him. Yeah, he just survives it every time, and he'll just keep coming. Yeah. Um, so it, it stars, does. Sorry, sorry. It, it does feel like Punch Out or something. Like them <laughs> giving yeah. these character introductions, and they're all kind of these outsized caricatures that have very specific characteristics and powers. Any one of these would be a video game and uh, boss at the end of the level. Well, like Ace Hanlon is totally Glass Joe. Oh, he totally is. Like he seems really cool, and he's he's very puffed up, and it sort of seems like he's going to be a threat, but he's just a bag of wind, as it turns out. Yeah. Because like he comes into town telling stories uh, that he says happened to him that we will learn. Later on, were actually the the exploits of Mr. John Harrod. Yeah, um, I don't think he knew whose story he was stealing. No, he did not. Because <laughs> <laughs> if he had, well, we'll get to that. Right. Uh, so yeah, scars are uh, ugly. Uh, archetype shows also throws his hat in the ring. Of course. And uh, Leonardo, the kid who has been hitting on Lady unsuccessfully, uh, of course, he's in. Semi-successfully. Uh, semi-successfully. I mean, it she works out for She does wake him. up in, in his bed, yeah. quotation marks. His <laughs> blankets over a bunch of dynamite. <laughs> uh, <Lewis>. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... But then all the all the ruckus and all the stuff stops when scary spur footsteps come into the bar. And here is our guy, our black hat, black suit, bad guy, John Herod, the most evil man in the West. He's just a super baddie. <laughs> like every every Western villain trope pretty much applies to this guy. Yeah, like again, he's Mike Tyson in Mike Tyson's Punch Out or Mr. Yep. Dream. Like he he's the main bad guy and he's almost supernaturally fast and you have to be the best. You have to really train to get to his level. Mhm. And yeah, we learn yeah, of course he like gives his whole speech and then here we see uh some dude just gets kicked into the <laughs> like kicked in rolling through the doors of the bar. 
a uh, preacher guy named Court who is volunteering to be in the contest. He is absolutely not volunteering. A very young Russell Crowe. Uh, yep. His his first American role. Very fresh-faced young man. Mm-hmm. I didn't recognize him at first. Yeah. And this is quite a long time ago. And yeah, kind of pre-fame. I mean, he'd been in some yep. big films in Australia, but nothing that was like super known here. I don't think Romper Stomper had really picked up here yet. Because that's one that I heard a lot about once he was starting to get big. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know that one. Oh, uh, very interesting early film where he's Nazi skinhead uh, oh. in a gang. Uh, very oh. intense movie. Very good. Mm. So uh, this preacher guy is all he's given up. Like he apparently used to be a really good gunfighter, but he's given up. He will not fight. He's taken a vow of nonviolence and all that. Mm-hmm. And uh and Herod's like, oh, no, I'll make you fight. I'll get you to fight. And he just tosses a glass of water at him, which the preacher effortlessly catches. Yeah, he's like addicted to guns. And he's yeah. like trying to go cold turkey is sort of his deal. That's actually, yeah, that I didn't quite get that. That's what it was at first. <laughs> but I, I think that's I think that's the right interpretation. And like almost to violence because he is so incredibly instinctive with the gun or with the weapon, mm-hmm. uh, like as we will see in his first fight. Yeah, well, uh, it's going to be a bit before his first fight because Herod decides to hang the guy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and he, he plays uh, hangman basically. He, yeah, basically, he puts him up on a stool that's like just high enough that his toes can barely touch and then he starts shooting out the boards of the stool and like carefully piece by piece yeah carefully. so that like so. you know it, it is like he's playing a game of hangman where he's like okay here's one uh and you like you draw the first line <laughs> yeah and, and so, just like slowly disassembles the chair until it collapses in half yeah so here lady shoots down the rope that's hanging him up right and Herod's like, eh, well, you're still in the thing. Right. And Fine. I didn't, and I guess I didn't realize until I looked back on my nose that her shooting down the rope here is actually really significant. Uh, but we don't really go back to this moment. No. And uh, because I, I like, I feel like we should. Right. Well, well no, I, we don't have to. I don't think we need to. I, I think it's, it's something that merits, uh, rewatches and kind of yeah. just makes it uh effective in terms of rewatch but we see her especially getting very upset when she sees this hanging starting to take place like it's triggering oh, yeah, PTSD this, no you're right this triggers the flashback no you're right we we don't have to go back to it because this we see that it yeah like we don't know fully the, Maybe, the yeah, of, just they reveal it much much was, later we but, just forgot a detail and then went back to it <laughs> but yeah like I they we see that it's a big deal to her and that it specifically upsets her but we don't know why yeah so yeah we have a flashback of presumably her as a kid and uh, we see the evil spurs of john harrod um a guy who we presume is the father but we don't really see what's going on here yet do you know who plays the father uh no who gary sinise 
uh, you know, Lieutenant Dan from Forrest Gump, among other things. No way. Okay. Stu Redman in The Stand, the original TV version. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, she wakes Ridiculously up Ridiculously stacked cast. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, unbelievable. I can't believe this wasn't a hit. I, I still... It's, it's nuts. It's so much fun. Yeah. Uh, so, after the flashback, a uh, lady wakes up in Leonardo's bedroom. Uh, in her in his bed, and here we learn that Leo is Herod's kid. He's like, I'm the only one who can beat him, but I'm not about to do it because you know he's my dad. And and here, of course, we also learn that she's here specifically to kill Herod. Yeah, and the the thing with him is that Herod will not acknowledge that he's his dad. Yeah. Yeah. And it sticks in his craw, and that's kind of why he's here and what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also learn here, it's like, it's like I can't believe you sleep on this bed. Well, if I don't, someone will take it. And the bed is actually many barrels of gunpowder yeah. or dynamite. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's one of the two. but One of the two. It, explody stuff. Exploding yeah. barrels. Yeah, necessary item for later in a Sam Raimi film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when the, uh, when there's no tournament going on, the preacher is just chained up to the fountain. Yeah. Uh, that's where he lives, um, with glasses of water, just a little bit out of reach and anybody who wants to beat the shit out of him is allowed to. Yeah. Um, and our first guy does who challenges the preacher to a duel and then has his many children beat the crap out of the preacher. Right. Uh, lady rescues him again. Yeah, uh, like she's sweet on him pretty quick. Yeah, but it doesn't. Oh, yeah. So then there's a scene at the inn where Herod is collecting taxes and Lady is about to confront him. But like she's scared and panicked, like she's hesitating. She's and got Herod's PTSD. Just, yeah, of course. And uh, Herod's just not even paying attention to her really right and she gets challenged by a dude who's handcuffed to a wagon wheel of course (laughs) the Uh, the guy from the beginning uh tobin bell as dog kelly yep uh you know uh, tobin bell best known as jigsaw in saw oh i never saw any of the sauce neither did i not my kind of thing uh so We've got Ace uh, demonstrating his amazing skills. Uh, has a has a kid pick a card and then hold it up in the air while he shoots it and then says, "It's an Ace of Spades." It was yeah. always going to be an Ace of Spades. That's his that's his shtick. The whole card <laughs> is a, the whole deck is Aces of Spades. We we've seen this. He, he's he's just <laughs> he all showed us the deck. He's Glass Joe because he's going to be yep. uh, first up with. Uh, Herod, although our, our first actual duel is the kid. Yeah, but here's where Herod challenges Ace. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, hey, so he starts asking him about like the different uh, battles that he's been in. And right. Ace is like, oh, yeah, yeah, I definitely did this. Why are you asking me about this stuff? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, the first battle is the kid versus Gutzen, the Swedish guy. And like right outside Herod's house, and he's got like this fancy ass throne that he sits on. Super rad. 
<laughs> like his, his gunfight watch and throne. His house is like nice by today's like it's a nice house. Yeah, it's like this nice sweet bungalow. Yeah, like it does not feel like it was designed by a Wild West architect. It looks very cozy and modern, especially when all of the buildings around it are exactly like the buildings in High Plains Drifter. They look like they were built, you know, 60 hours ago and they're uh, raw wood and just, you know, they're, they're built to fall apart as through use. Yeah. So uh, we also learned that, yeah, there's snipers on all the rooftops to enforce the rules, make sure nobody cheats. Yeah. Um, also, to make sure that... Uh, Nobody wins unless Herod wants them to. That too. It's, that too. it's a little bit rigged. A little bit. Uh, Gutzen's like, oh, don't worry, I won't, I won't kill you. I'll just wound you. And the kid's like, yeah, well, that's, that's what I'll do too. That's just and, like your opinion, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, kid wins, but he doesn't kill the guy. Yeah, he's he's a sweetheart, honestly. Yeah. He's he's a very yeah. likable character. Yeah, he actually, I get the feeling he hasn't killed anybody yet. No, I and I, I think they have some conversations about that, that like he kind of makes like he has, but uh, it, it does seem like it's something that really troubles him when it comes up later. We also learn, of course, Lady, I don't know if it's now or later, but we also learn that Lady hasn't killed anybody. Right. Um. So yeah, after that, uh, we see Spotted Horse in the bar. Uh, Spotted Horse cannot be killed by bullets, mm-hmm. by the way. Don't forget. Right. Uh, and he's doing his whole thing, and and we're getting like this whole gunfight preparation montage where everybody's like getting their guns together, spinning them around, putting bullets in. Smash them, smash them, smash them. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, like, superimposed flying pistol spinning oh, through the screen. So cool. Like, <laughs> I'm like, this is if, this is if the Evil Dead guy made a western. <laughs> yeah, it's like, let's put all of the elements on the screen together and just, like, have them fly at each other. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. So the kid actually either owns or works at a gun store. Right. Um, cause so this Herod, is where Herod takes. Uh, <laughs> he takes the preacher there to uh, get him a gun because, you know, he doesn't have a gun. He can't do the gunfight without a gun. Yeah. So the kid's got like his, his whole spiel. Um, first, Herod has to talk down to him a whole bunch and talk about how he's got he, – doesn't have fast hands he's got shitty farmer hands yeah uh, which is significant because uh leo might be a farmer's kid right and, and that's We're sort of learn the claim. at the very end almost it's basically the claim he has and he's he's willing to freeze him out just over the vague possibility that he might not be his son yeah so um yeah, he does like this whole spiel, t- telling about all these guns, and then uh, and then it gets to the point of the price, and the preacher's like, "Well, I don't have any money." And yeah. Herod's like, "Well, what's the cheapest gun you have?" And he pulls out this rusted ass, shitty looking, almost looks like a toy. Yeah, and he's like, like five bucks. Five bucks, and uh, can only have one bullet. And and that's sort of his his thing through all of the fights. He is only ever allowed to have one bullet, uh, 
the the pretense is so that he's not allowed he's not going to be able to try to shoot his way out and run off yeah yeah but you know it's just to game him well it's also it's also i would actually be pretty afraid of the preacher uh if he wanted to shoot his way out of town i bet he could do it oh yeah and like even if he didn't necessarily want to his hands might do it for him (laughs) it's almost like he uh should have probably just never brought this guy into town to begin with and just left him alone yeah i mean it is one of these things where a a villain just sort of creates their own problem yep brings the hero to them in uh ways that they didn't need to so now it's the preacher's turn to fight. Uh, he's fighting one of Herod's goons. And everybody hates this guy. The whole town, like, children are throwing horse shit at him. And, uh, but the preacher ends up killing the guy. Yeah. Without, like, trying to. Like, yeah. he looks down and is surprised to see the gun smoking in his hand. Yeah, yeah. It looks like it, like... It feels like it wasn't a conscious action. Yeah. And yeah, so Lady, after the fight, Lady talks to the preacher and is, and he's like, yeah, well, I used to run with Herod's crew. I was actually as bad as any of them. And she's like, I should have let you die. Yeah. Because uh, uh, she has a bad history with them, as we've been alluded to with the flashbacks. But they're, yep. they're very sparingly doled out for quite some time. Yes, we still don't know what her story is yet. Because the uh, reveal of it is so harsh. <laughs> uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, yeah, really. Uh, so now it's Herod's turn to fight Ace. And here is where he says to him, like, this battle that you're talking about, did this battle take place? And he's like, yeah, it did. Yeah, I know it did because I was there and you probably weren't even in the same state. Yeah, and then I he, was the guy. I was the guy. He shoots him. Uh, he makes him dance for a little bit first before just putting it right him. down. Yeah. yeah. And everybody's just staring. He basically does the please clap thing because yeah, nobody wants to clap for him. He he waits. He's like waiting for applause and is like, he, he, he like the... puts his hands up like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> clap for me. Yeah. And, and as soon as the guy goes down, everybody's like swarming over him, stealing his clothes. They strip him down to his underwear. Yeah. I mean, he had pretty sweet duds. Yeah, he did. He really did. He was the best dressed in town other than uh, Keith David. Yeah. So uh, maybe Sharon Stone. She, she's hot in this. She's so hot. It's crazy. Yeah. Like. The yeah, it's maybe not so much the outfit as the way she wears it, but you know, mm-hmm. uh, classic, sexy Western wear. Yeah. Um. So yeah, we have another flashback reveal a little bit more of Lady's story, but still don't really learn anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, now it's Lady's first fight against uh. Oh, the the wheel guy. Yeah. And here's where the preacher uh, just whispers to her, like, the clock will click before it strikes. So mm-hmm. you got to listen for that. Smash zoom to every click of the clock. 
so much of that. Like, it it is impossible to overstate how busy the camera is. I, I think I said last week, most directed movie I've ever seen. <laughs> and it really is. Yeah, yeah. She blows this guy away. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I uh, think she does not kill him. I don't think she does. No, you know, I don't think she does. It, it's it's a while before she does. I'm pretty sure the first guy she kills is Kevin Conway. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And even that by accident. Yeah. Well, it's it's almost the same thing as uh, Court in his first fight. It's almost like instinct and muscle memory yeah. that does it more than anything. Yeah. So um, she kisses. I got written down that she kisses Leo here at this point, apparently. Yeah. Well, like she did sleep with him that other time. I because like, I kind of had the feeling that they were so drunk that it's kind of ambiguous if they slept together or not. Right, it is ambiguous, but like they definitely were drinking together, and he strongly suggests that they. Did. Oh yes, yeah, yes. It's it's hard and to she say. She suggests that sure. he was puking his guts out. Right, exactly. And if he was, no sex happened. But she is still kind of into him. I mean, it seems. Well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, yeah. you know, he's like, it's, it's a very DiCaprio. young Leo. This yeah. is one of his very early, like, his first adult role. This is before basically. Titanic. Yeah. Yeah. Two years before Titanic. Yeah. Um, so. And before so, Romeo and Juliet. Oh, yeah, right. Because I oh, think yeah, that's not about that. Yeah. She finds so lady finds an envelope in her thing. And I first thing I thought of was like, this looks like the invitation to the Super Smash Brothers tourney. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, she's already in a tournament. This is like it is Super Smash Brothers. It's, like it's so video gaming. It super is. Um, it's and it's like a fancy dress and an invitation to dinner with Herod. Right. Uh, so she goes and uh, she kicks over the reverend's glass of water because uh, I didn't write down what he said, but he said something dickish to her. Oh, yeah, right. Something like first you're sleeping with the kid. Now you're sleeping with the dad or something right. like that. Yeah. Something gross. And like, no, I'm not. Screw you. Yeah. You're so gross. the inside of his house is like super over. All his chairs are like that. That thrown chair thing very ornate yeah it's like a a, a, uh, it's a villain lair well and it's it's obscene wealth in in terms of like he just kind of steals everything from the town and lives in obscene luxury Mm -hmm. like like i actually had this guy pegged as a uh at first as a like a businessman rather than an outlaw who has a business yeah, like it's surprising that he's so incredibly capable with the gun, considering that he seems like our typical head company man, like our mustache guy in High Plains Drifter who ends up in yeah. the lake. <laughs> yeah, he, he seems like he'd be that guy, but he's he's like every villain. Yeah, he he's just got all of the superpowers. Yeah, but she's got a gun in her garter belt. Mm-hmm. Um. So they're talking about how they're just talking. He's like, the town needs me to estate order, not law, but order. And she's like fumbling with her gun and damn near drops it. And 
we find out that he had a wife and and he's like she was unfaithful and lady's like well what happened to her she was unfaithful. she was unfaithful uh yeah he's a bad guy uh-huh. we know he's just super evil uh his story which may or may not be you know may or may not be true but i got a kind of feeling that it is with this guy is that I suspect his so. dad played russian roulette with his entire family and ended up blowing his own brains out and he's like nothing scares me anymore yeah i i'd say that's probably true for yep. this character he he I, has a heightened origin story because he is a very heightened character yep yep uh, we get the preacher telling the backstory about his deal in the in the rain uh, after a robbery when he was running with Herod's gang uh, back when they were just a bank robber gang. He they had laid low in a church and there was this preacher who took care of them, but when it was time to leave, Herod told him to shoot the priest, and he did. Mm-hmm. And then, and that's, then he was very remorseful of it. Yep, and then that's when he decided. Uh, I'm done killing, but yeah. he is not done killing. His hands are not done killing. Yep. His heart and his brain, maybe. Yep. Uh, we have, like, the only other Keith David scene next. Right. Um, Herod goes to meet with him. Yeah, Herod's like, well, I thought Ace was the hired gun, but he actually sucks. So so you're the hired gun, right? He's like, it no, has I'm to a- be you. I'm a gentleman adventurer. (laughs) (laughs) And like, yeah, they're just having a talk and Keith David's like, uh, I keep my employer confidential, but do you and I have business? So then he challenges him. Yeah. He says, as soon as the rain stops, I'm going to make an example of you. Yeah. And this is where he changes the rules. It's like, all right, this time now it's to the death. And, uh, Clay's like, yeah, I wouldn't. I, I was planning on killing you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yeah. So we've got Herod versus Keith David. Of course, Herod wins. Uh, I really like him uh, screaming at the town that, like, uh, you keep complaining that your taxes are too high, but you hired this man to kill me. Maybe I'm going to need to raise your taxes so you can't hire people anymore. Yep, he does this whole, this is my town, I decide who lives and dies, me, 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 me. Yeah, I'm the god, I'm the god. (laughs) I'm the one who wins. Yeah. Scars versus the kid is an insta-kill, that's all I've got written down. (laughs) Yeah, he he just gets him, no problem. Yeah, uh, nobody, like, everybody, when they're looting him it's all like oh man this guy stinks i don't even want his shit (laughs) let's bury him real deep because he stinks so bad he's so smelly yeah now we have lady and eugene encountering one another well we had a very unfortunate uh encounter and we haven't mentioned the saloon owner's daughter yes who's a fangirl of the lady right from the start yeah right um but She's uh, also working, well, working as a sex worker, too, who uh, Eugene is very 
fond of isn't the word I'd use. Very gross with. I, I think it's more that like she just works in the saloon as oh, a waitress and he, just... and he assaults her. Oh, and okay. and that's that's what ha- and that's why she challenges him. Oh, OK. Finally. Okay. So she that... challenges Dredd and it's the next morning that they're setting up the fight and she still has not killed anyone and she doesn't want to. Well, yet. I guess she's killed one person. Well, yes, but. <laughs> but she didn't mean to then. So th- yeah, this one's a little different. So she shoots him in the dick. <laughs> of course. <laughs> she shoots him right in the dick and then in the arm. And then she just goes back into the bar to have a drink. Well, uh, Herod's like, it's contest isn't over. The contest isn't over. And dread comes like slamming through the door and she, you know, it's the muscle memory. The instinct kicks in yeah. and she does kill him. So her first recorded kill. Yeah, is is this guy. Really gross guy. Yeah. So uh, here is where we have the ladies. I'm going to leave town bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she's upset about having to kill someone. Yeah, even though that's what she came here to do. Right. But she doesn't feel she can do it now because, you know, it's well, a thing that she, you know. Yeah, it's it's hard. Mm. It's not supposed to be easy. Right. If, if killing's easy, that's a problem. You're a sociopath. Yeah. It's uh, not a good thing. Yeah. Again, um, this is what Eastwood was examining with High Plains Drifter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, that's right. So the kid was trying to stop her from leaving, and we got, like, this gorgeous shot where she throws the stable doors open, and we see, like, the huge sky and... And it's like a sunset or sunrise, and and, uh, and she rides off. Right. Uh, now, our next fight is Spotted Horse versus the Preacher with the $5 gun. Did you know Spotted Horse cannot be killed by bullets? It's, it's a big problem for a man who has only one bullet. Yeah, so she hears the shot from out of town. We don't see it. Uh, but uh, we cut back to the Preacher, and Spotted Horse is on the ground dead. And nope, he gets up. Yeah, he seems to be dead, and people are heading over to check on him, and then he sits up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the preacher's like, come on, somebody give me a bullet, someone give me a bullet, and Herod's like, no, you only get the one. That's so all the, you need. So the blind shine boy is, like, looking through the bullets yeah, in like... his tray for <laughs> one with the right caliber. Yep, and... Uh... And this is cool. He throws it to him, and it's like a super slow-mo, like, fly through the air, grab, reload, uh, headshot. Yeah, and he finally does. Uh, Spotted Horse uh, is killed by bullets. Um, I think Spotted Horse may have been killed by blood loss, not the bullet. <laughs> Maybe. So Spotted Horse cannot, because Spotted Horse cannot be killed by bullets. I guess so. Yep. Definitely just impact from from a bullet, but not mm-hmm. the bullet. It, yeah, no. <laughs> um, so we cut to Lady in the Graveyard after instant rain fell. Yeah, well, <laughs> he does this a few it. times. Yeah, you, you got to have it be the coolest way it can look at a given time. Yeah. Got to match and, the mood. And she meets the uh, the coffin maker who tells her that her dad's not buried here. Herod 
Vulcan destroyed the body and burned it and tossed it away. Uh, the great Roberts Blossom, by the way, as Doc Wallace, uh, the the guy uh, who the the coffin maker guy. Uh, he he's the old man in Home Alone. Oh, I thought he looked familiar. And he plays uh, uh, Ed Gein in Deranged. Oh, yeah. Ooh, ooh, I gotta see that. One yeah, yeah, days. we gotta watch that sometime. That's pretty rad. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, she she knew, or he rather knew her father. Right. Um, he was he was a marshal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Man, sucks to be a sheriff in the old west, I guess. I mean, that's that's uh, what a lot of these movies are about. Yeah. <laughs> Being either the hero who drives away the bad guys or the hero who's killed by the bad guys for another hero to come and get revenge for. Yeah. Um, okay, so here we have the uh, the actual... Oh, no, we, we still don't have the full flashback yet. No, uh, I think it's right around here. We, we get... Uh, her real name that she's ellen oh i didn't i didn't catch it until much later that that was oh, her I'm, name i'm pretty sure it's right here uh and then and we we find out about the marshal her her yeah. dad the marshal and uh I, isn't this where you get the uh, maybe her, um i don't know it, it where he wants her to shoot the next one i think this is here where where she's like we we get the flashback of her yeah. uh, trying to save her dad by shooting the rope. Yeah, yeah. So so Herod had done like the thing that he did at the bar before, where he gets her dad onto a stool and he's on a noose and is like, "Well, why don't you shoot the rope then? I've had my three shots." So he so he gives her the gun and she tries to shoot the rope and shoots him in the forehead instead. Instant And Herod's just like, "Well, that's good enough." Yeah, that'll do. Uh, and yeah, then Doc says that they dug up her body, dug up the dad's body and burned it and smashed the tombstone just to really be dickholes about it. Yep, yep. But he saved uh, the badge and he gives her the badge. Mm-hmm. He's like, you gotta go clean up this town. <laughs> yeah. So she goes in and she challenges Herod and Herod's like, no, I've already got a fight. Right. So the semifinals is the kid versus Herod and lady versus the preacher. Oh, no. Yeah. Drama. So, very high drama. Uh-huh. So, yeah, here's where we learn that the, all the kid really wants is his dad's respect. And uh, Herod's like, come on, you've made your point. Uh, get out of this thing. I don't. Well, he doesn't say I don't want to shoot you. But he definitely implies it, and he's giving him an out. Like, he he definitely is much more willing to do that with the kid. But at the same time, he will not give him what he wants, which is to acknowledge that he is his dad. Yep. Yep. So so they they fight. They have to fight. Yep, they got to fight. And the kid gets a hit. Gets him in the neck. Gets him in the neck, but Herod gets him in the stomach, and he's basically like – so the whole time, he's just been like super confident, like cocky, like, yeah, I'm the best, I'm the best. It's kind of amazing. Isn't it crazy how good I am? But like mm-hmm. here he's just like, 
crying. He's like, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. And he like here he looks and for the first time, he like really looks like a kid. Yeah. And it's a very good performance. Like he's a very he's kind of kiddy in some of the yeah. earlier scenes. But like at this point, like it really is a powerful moment. Like it feels like a more modern Leo moment and just that the big, huge performance that he does at times. Yeah, so, um, yeah, and here's where Herod's just kind of like, well, uh, we never actually proved that he was my son, so. Yeah, know. and he, the the kid is like, has his hand out to him as he's dying, and it, it I, I like, Hackman is also really amazing here, and like, you see him considering whether or not to take it, but yeah. considering too long, and he dies, and he doesn't. Yes. Um, so the next fight is the lady versus the preacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody wants to kill anybody here. So no. the clock strikes and nobody makes a move. And then Herod's like, oh my god, you fucking guys, that's it. If somebody's not dead, when I count down to zero, uh, my guys are going to kill you both. I'm, this is dumb. So he starts counting down and the preacher's like, come on, kill me, kill me. It's not there's no sense both of us dying. And he's like, kill me, Ellen, is what he says. Mm-hmm. So uh, what I wrote down is uh, preacher shoot lady. Oh, shit. He killed her. Right. The the doctor, Roberts Blossom, comes yep. in and he declares her dead. He declares her dead. And he's um, very tearful. He he really sells it. But. Yep. It is her faking it out, but like they hold it for quite a while. Like they they hold the reveal. Yeah. Um. The only clue that we have that it's a fake is she. In an earlier scene, she had asked the blind kid for ink. Nothing more specific than that. Not even that it's red ink. Mm-hmm. That that's it. That's the only clue we get to the plan. Well, and we saw some dynamite, but that's a different part of the plan different plan yeah different plan same plan different part yeah and uh court challenges herod of course they, yep they, uh, they're they're obviously having to fight right away but he's like i want to do it now it's like you can wait for tomorrow yeah it's like it's gonna be at dawn right so during the night uh the preacher is of course beaten up by a goon yeah and he breaks his hand yeah breaks his hand he's like let's see you try and fight with only one hand and we also see this scene is really neat because we see like Herod is super well dressed all the time, but here we see him in his like in his uh, dining room with his like shitty ratty underwear and glasses. He looks really old here. Yeah, as he's getting ready. Like we, he, this he looks way more vulnerable in this scene than anywhere else. Yeah, like you can see that this has been weighing on him. Like the the thing with the kid did like was a big blow to him. Like both that he was shot, which kind of proves in a way to him that he was his kid, but yeah. that he also still couldn't reach out. You can tell that he's tortured by it. I think it's yeah. a really fascinating performance because uh-huh. like he's super villainous, but there is kind of a little bit of humanity to him here. Yeah, and. Also, I think he wasn't expecting the preacher to get this far, and now he's like, oh shit, I have to actually fight this guy now. That too. This guy is kind of like the, the superhero that he had built him up. Yeah, like, like I, th- I think his plan was that preacher was going to not 
kill a woman so that Lady was going to kill the preacher and that he was going to kill Lady, but it didn't work out. Right. Uh, the, so now he has to deal with a mo- well, he was going to have to deal with a monster that he created no matter what. Right. He just thought it would be easier. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, so this was like a really neat scene. There's no, there's no dialogue or anything, but it, it's just such a big contrast to everything else we've seen of this guy. Yeah. And he's not cool with the henchman having broken his hand and beaten him up. That that wasn't something he wanted done. I just did what you said, boss. You got 20 seconds to get out of town. What? You got 15 seconds. <laughs> and of course the guy gets shot. Yeah, he he's all like, on his way out of town. He's like, okay, I mean, I could use my left hand if you want, although you know I'm good enough with both of them, or what kind of a handicap? Or... Yeah, he's like, all right, we're, we'll have to do a handicap. I am truly sorry about this. Uh, yeah. Also, I am afraid of you. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, so we've got the final showdown. I love this. I love <laughs> I love how this plays out because we've never actually he, he says to his guards like, hey, no matter what happens, kill him if he's still standing. Right. But we've never actually seen anyone deviate from the rules of the match. Uh, before so when somebody actually does it's just it's so shocking because when the clock strikes it explodes yeah kaboom, <laughs> kaboom. and a couple other buildings explode it's just yep. like there's the a bunch. house explodes uh the store explodes every t- every time herod like tries to raise his gun to shoot at the preacher something explodes just a series of huge fiery explosions yeah and then we get a little bit of a parallel to our previous movie as the lady sort of walks through the fire and herod's like screaming you're dead you're dead and we just see the kid uh the the blind kid rather not Mm -hmm. not leo dump out like a little bottle of red ink yeah that's Uh, how it was done yep uh the preacher disarms the goon oh Oh, no, it is here where we see the flashback of uh, of how she shot the dad. OK. OK, well, it doesn't uh, it doesn't matter. So. So, uh, yeah, so she <laughs> I can't believe this. She first shoots him in the chest and like you can see the shadow and there's daylight coming through a hole in the shadow amazing and then that just like that that incredible shot there's uh <laughs> uh just just the sh- like a cartoon shadow with one spot through it just unreal like the sam raimiest moment in the movie maybe well maybe but we also get she uh we get a pov bullet through the eye shot and gene hackman does a backflip and oh, falls yeah. to the ground amazing <sighs> and she throws the partial badge to the preacher and rides out of town the laws come back to town <sighs> just, just backflip <laughs> and and i think the idea is now court will now be the yeah. uh, new law in town. Like, he's going to take over and run things right. Yeah, yeah. 
keep running um, this tournament right. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, we didn't mention though the other big uh, Sam Raimi effect is when the um, when Herod killed Keith David. It was a oh, big yeah. hole in his head, so big that you could see Herod through the hole. It was like James Bond shooting through the scope, but it was Keith David's head. Right, and we see from behind, and we see him through it. That's right. Yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, crazy movie. Uh, not what I expected. <laughs> if like, I mean, it, it should have been. It's, it's if Sam Raimi made a best well western. Yeah, it is the Sam Raimiest Western, uh, and it, it kind of rules. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm really surprised more people haven't seen it, and more people really should see it. It's a blast. Yeah, well, I don't know how much... Actually, yes, I would have loved this, but... Like, <laughs> I, I feel like it's so... It owes so much to, like, The Evil Dead that you almost have to have seen those movies to kind of get the weird cartoon stuff that comes out of nowhere here. Maybe, although Maybe. I feel like if there were any movie that my parents would enjoy from the Sam Raimi filmography, it would be this one or For Love of the Game. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But it's a blast. It's just it's so much fun. Like, it, just really kinetic action. It does the same thing of uh, Evil Dead. It introduces some characters and is like, okay, it's just going to be action scenes for the rest of the movie, and they're going to be the most dynamically shot action scenes you've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, this isn't um, like just law. This isn't your typical Western camera work, like just your long shots and then blam, and then someone's dead. Smash zoom, smash zoom, smash zoom. <laughs> Point of view bullet shot through the eye. Yeah. A lot of POV bullet shots. Things like the camera is flying around the town all the time. <laughs> yep. Uh, it's it's a lot. And maybe maybe the reason people didn't like it is the same reason I didn't much care for the Evil Dead at first. Although I have since come around on it. I'm I'm pro Evil Dead one now. Just sensory overload. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I can, I, I can see, see how that. that would be, how that would be a thing here. But this movie should have just printed money like that cast. The cast is unreal, and they're also good, and it's just so much fun. Uh, yep. And like, I don't, I, I can't figure. I don't, I don't remember what was big in '95. Uh, that's like the year, or maybe two years before I started going to theaters much. Because it's, I, I know 97 and 98, I was seeing a lot of movies uh, in theater, but 95, I, I don't, I don't know, like, what was fun action at this point? Why? <laughs> how is this not a good sell? I think Armageddon's I 98. Oh shit! No, you're right. Um, I saw I Armageddon in theater. <laughs> so did I. I cried. That's one of Ooh, my wow. most shameful moments. That movie is a lot of fun. Very bad, but a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, that's about all I got to say about the quick and the dead. Because if you're not quick, you'll be dead unless yeah. you can rig the whole town with explosives. I guess so. Uh, and yeah, strong recommend on it. Just a mm. totally great movie and one that more people should see because it's uh, just it's a blast. It's really crazy. Uh, all right, uh, so. Uh, unless we have anything further, we'll head on to part three. All right.
and we're back for the third part where we discuss a bunch of things we've watched in the past week and decide what we're going to watch next week. Uh, had a really ambitious week. Watched a whole bunch of stuff. The most we've got for oh, we've had in a while. Yeah, it looks like there's what eleven or twelve. Uh, I believe it is eleven. Uh, and first up, we have Death Ring. As uh, one I mentioned last week, Norris McQueen Swayze. Oh yeah, but not uh, <laughs> not the ones you like, might think. No. So it's it's very trashy direct to video uh, '90s action knockoff of Most Dangerous Game. Uh, Billy Drago's this rich guy, and he has an island off the coast of San Diego where he has uh, tough guys who are hunted by rich people. Okay. And like they only hunt really tough guys because they, they want to test their metal against the really most dangerous game. So they have to be heroes, you know? Right, right. Uh, so our main guy, sadly, is Mike Norris, who inherited his father's acting chops, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a bowl of mashed potatoes. There, there's just no character there, and that's sort of the chief problem with the movie. Uh, I kind of like Chad McQueen as his best buddy. He's got sort of a fun Michael Madsen-y energy. Okay. Uh, Mike Norris's beard conceals a third fist that continually punches him in the face. He doesn't have a beard. Oh. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's just bland looking. Uh, he's in a bunch of stuff like that. Uh, but... Chad McQueen, lesser seen. I, I, I liked him. He, he was pretty fun. Unfortunately, his character's name is Skylord. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay. he can fly anything. He's he's expert at flying things. Oh, my God. Uh, and Don Swayze, he shows up later and he kind of does look like Patrick Swayze if you see him in the dark. So they he's introduced <laughs> in the dark in a cave. <laughs> It's very goofy. It's it's quite gory. It's very dumb, but yeah, it's it's a pretty good time. Right on. Uh, next up is Reform School Girls, uh, which is very heightened and campy. Uh, it's it's a women in prison thing, but it's like a dystopian reform school. Oh, like, okay. You know, it's a reform school, but like one of the girls there is Wendy O. Williams, who was forty at the time. Uh, and is somehow, you know, a student at a reform school. She's introduced aggressively doing shoulder curls and flipping through a bikini magazine. Okay. <laughs> it's like she runs the cabal of aggressive dom girls who are wanting to lay claim to the fresh meat girl, like the, the new fragile girl. And then there's like this girl who is, uh, it's her second time in and she's got to protect this girl. Okay, cool. Uh, Sybil Danning runs the place. She's uh, the the warden, but the there's Big Edna who's the head of the guards, and she's uh, extremely unpleasant. There is a part where she stomps a kitten. Oof. Uh, it's it's kind of uh, it's heightened in a way that it's mostly unpleasant. It's it's really fun for about ten minutes. It's super unpleasant for about an hour, and then it's kind of fun for ten minutes again. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it's sort of that like I, I didn't really enjoy it, but there were moments where it's like, I see where this could be great. Mm -hmm. That's a shame. Yeah. 
Uh, next up, the torture chamber of Doctor Sadism. <laughs> amazing, right. amazing classic fucking Euro Gothic bullshit title. Uh, th- this is one from the Euro Crypt uh, of Christopher Lee, kind of concluding that box set. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. There, there's a TV series in it as well, a Polish series called Theater Macabre, which I have been watching some of, but uh, kind of ineligible for the stacks as a TV series. Right. Uh, so uh, we we move past that box for now. Uh, so this is him as Count Regula, uh, who. <laughs> He is the Dr. Sadism, basically. Uh, he, in, I don't know, a century previous to whenever, it's it's one of these medieval Europe forever in the past kind of movies that yeah. uh, indistinguishable uh, from whatever period it's supposed to be. It's just sometime in the past. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, but like he tortured 12 virgins to death in a satanic ritual <laughs> we oh. learn this as at the opening of the movie the opening credits pre-opening credits and he's sentenced oh. to death and then through the opening credits he's being marched to his death and then he is pulled apart by horses in the opening sequence which is pretty rad all right and then unfortunately this means we don't have christopher lee in the movie until I think maybe the last 10 minutes again when he's resurrected, maybe the last 20. So, yeah, I guess they couldn't get him for that long. Uh, But of (laughs) course, the 13th victim of, you know, the 12 of 13 virgins, she escaped, which means the the ritual was unable to be completed, which is why he's being resurrected by his uh, also immortal zombie sidekick. Uh, And so he's going after their grandchildren. very campy, very pulpy. It looks amazing because it's just like that rad, lush Technicolor look. Uh, there's this sinister monk side character who's really funny. Uh, he, they, they get this nervous coach driver who just, oh, I don't want to do this. And he gets spooked by all these mannequin parts in the forest, which maybe they're supposed to be body parts in the context of the movie. <laughs> but they're mannequin parts. And he gets really <laughs> right. uh, nervous about it. And like the, the monk just deadlifts him back onto the coach. It's like, come on, get going. I'm sick of this. Right on. Uh, next up, Bad Dreams. Uh, this is that one that's basically the Dream Warriors, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, without Freddy. Yep, yep. Uh, so it's this girl, she, she was in a suicide cult, and they all lit themselves on fire, covered themselves in gasoline, and exploded. But she was the only survivor. Okay, and so she, it's a sequel to um, Don't Deliver Us From Evil. Kinda. It's just, she wakes up years later. Uh, she she was in a coma for years, and she joins this group therapy. Uh, and there's just this series of very elaborate suicides, and she thinks it's the ghost of her cult leader, uh, played by Richard Lynch. Uh, who's making them kill themselves because she was the one who didn't kill herself with the rest of her, uh, you know, the the rest of uh, her yeah. cult. Uh, very wild gore effects, some pretty great stuff, but uh, it's it's pretty nasty. Like it's harsh and very mean. Uh, kind of a bizarre, crazy, heightened ending too. Like it it ultimately does pay off, but it's it does feel a little grungy and downbeat compared to dream warriors being such a 
uh, silly thing. Okay, so like, like the Dream Warriors, the Snyder Cut. Yeah, kind of. Like it's it's very dark, and like it it ends up being uh, a series of different. Like there there is a culprit involved, but it it's a little more real. There might also be a ghost. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, next up is Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. Uh, the beginning of Elseworlds, Jason. Uh, continuing my theory of last week where I was talking about this is the point at which they become non-canon as far as I'm concerned. Oh, like like alternate reality Jason stories? Yeah, Jason's because... fan fiction? Right. Fanfic, I, I, I'd say Elseworlds or in the Marvel term, the what-if story. Oh, okay, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this one's, what if Jason were a Lovecraftian space worm? So and he's, what, if Jason, what happens if Jason's a Lovecraftian space worm? Yeah, so he's a, a, a worm from space, and he possesses bodies, and in the opening sequence, which is absolutely rad, like, so good, uh, the movie never catches up with it again, but... Uh, they, they have this lady driving out to the woods and she gets uh, all naked and gets in the shower. And uh, basically it, she's she's Jason bait uh, and Jason shows up to murder her and he he starts chasing her through the forest. And, you know, usually you have the, the thing where, you know, she's tripping and falling and stuff, but yeah. like she's obviously super trained and she's like athletically leaping and doing somersaults over stuff. <laughs> Okay, all right. <laughs> and he chases her to a clearing, and a bunch of giant lights come on, and the FBI lights him the fuck up. <laughs> they they shoot a rocket launcher at him, and he, on camera, completely explodes, and his, ham, his head goes spiraling through the air. His giant bloated head, like, it feels metaphorical in a way that, like, he's just this heavy breathing slow moving grunting oh uh, <laughs> wasteoid monster at this point that like they just have to blow him up and be done with it it, it feels <laughs> it really gives that impression it it feels kind of <laughs> it, it 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 sort of feels like it's insulting to the fans which is why i think a lot of people really hate it <laughs> oh, that, well that sounds fun at least or at least that like scene, fun 10 minutes. Yeah, that scene's amazing. And I really like Stephen Williams. He was Mr. X on X-Files. Like the... Oh, um, the smoking the man? No, the, the secret agent who replaced Deep Throat after Deep Throat is killed. Oh. Hmm. He's, uh, he's I, their, like, their contact, but he's their really angry contact. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, he in this he plays basically Craven the Hunter. He's Creighton Duke, and he's a Jason Hunter. <laughs> Creighton the Hunter. Yeah, and he's a lot of fun. He's very over the top. For some reason, his whole deal is hunting Jason, even though he's never seen Jason, as far as I can tell. Uh, and he, for some reason, knows about Jason's mysterious space worm heritage, and that unfortunately, there's just way too much backstory bullshit in it and it turns into like a Voorhees bloodline thing uh, and I hate all of that crap I find that all really tedious and also the space worm stuff is 
it becomes a bit much. There's very little Jason in this. It's mostly people vomiting space worms in each other's mouths. Oh, uh, worms from the planet Jasulon. Yeah, and like it's it. He has to be born of a Voorhees, and so there's Voorhees a sister. Run. Yeah, there there's a sister, a long lost sister, and uh, is it played her, by Jamie Lee Curtis? No, but no. It, it feels very Michael Myersy, right? Not Jason. Like Jason never had. Uh, it's it's silly. Uh, so it it falls apart. But I do love that opening sequence. <laughs> <laughs> See the opening sequence for sure. All right. Well, maybe I'll YouTube that part. Uh, next up is Bog. <laughs> You've talked uh, about this before, I think. It's uh, very... I don't know on the show or not, but. I'm not sure. It's apparently it's in the new episode of Red Letter Media, Best of the Worst, which I have not watched yet, but I'll probably check it out now, having rewatched this movie. Uh, it's it's weird. It's very bad, very cheap. Uh, it's it's one of those things where you know you, you usually hear if if the monster suit is bad, you want to kind of avoid showing it. I th- feel like they leaned too much into that because. It's it's not a very good looking monster, but it becomes worse that we don't see it until the last ten minutes, and we have like oh no, eighty-five. So they accidentally made build up. <laughs> well, they they yeah they they kind of made it too built up because there are all these sequences where we are very strictly not shown it. We just see very quick cuts around it, so you don't see much of anything, and it's like. It better look kind of good by the time we get there. And it's just like, then we see nothing else for the last 10 minutes. And it's like, it doesn't look that good. But I would have been happier if I'd been seeing it the whole movie. At least then it would have been kind of fun. It's almost an ambient movie. Like, nothing happening. You're mostly falling around a bumbling sheriff. (laughs) Okay. Uh, yeah, it's weird. Uh, next up, the least unlikely pick of the bunch, Sex and the Office Girl. Sex and the... Now, um, on the page, I can't even see the art for this. It's just all pixel sensor blurred. Oh, yeah, you must not have adult enabled. <laughs> <laughs> so I just can't see this. <laughs> yeah, I need so... an adult. <laughs> Uh, this is, it's not porn, but it's the sleaziest thing I've seen that isn't. Oh, wow. Uh, this is a Canadian movie. This was a, a late Canadian in, in, uh, entry in the sexploitation genre, which was like sort of the bridge between the nudie cutie and actual hardcore where it'd just be like really sleazy and there would be a lot of nude scenes and long simulated sex scenes, but no actual sex. Oh, like like the uh, like the sex scenes in the room. Kind of like that. Uh, I'm just imagining right now Canadian sexploitation films. Like, oh, I'm here to fix your uh, your plumbing there, right? And well, then so, he fixes the plumbing, <laughs> and then they have sex. It's a bunch of people at an office working super late on the big client merger deal or whatever. You know? The Anderson account. It's yeah, it's like the something account, exactly. And 
they're promised a big drunken office party at the end of it, and that's what they get, and it turns into an orgy. But there's one secretary who is not into it. And just one. Just one. Uh, the others are extremely into it, uh, very, very into it. Uh, and it doesn't go well for her. Uh, they don't accept that she's not into it. And when it turns out she's a virgin, uh, they all draw straws, including the women. Uh, so it's it's that sort of movie, but it's played off in a really weird way because it's supposed to be sexy, theoretically, but it's mostly people rolling around on gross green shag carpeting <laughs> in this really ugly fake office. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think about all my jobs and... Uh... Most of the time, my coworkers are the last people I want to have an orgy with. Well, yeah, most these of the time. Again, like we're not hiring pretty lead actors in this. This is a cheap <laughs> Canadian sexploitation movie that was seized by the Montreal police as obscene. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, they're they're not like glamorous, uh, but ultimately, so like you know. It, there's one guy who goes for her and then there's this uh, one of the girls in the office. She's just like she has gone wild with needing this woman. She's like, I, I don't know what it is, but I got to have her. <laughs> right. Uh, and she makes her into sex. And then ultimately she turns into a dominatrix and takes over the office. It's a very weird movie. Incredibly sleazy. Oh, get down on your knees there, Ray. <laughs> Have you been a good... Uh, or, you know what I was trying to do. Just imagine. I, I get you. I, I follow. Uh, next up is The Fast and Furious... Or The Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. Ah, uh, the thir third one? The third one. See, it doesn't have a number in the name, and that's why I never remember where Tokyo Drift falls. In a the, lot of uh, them don't. It's a weird naming scheme. Uh, four is just Fast and Furious, <laughs> oh. which we'll get to. But uh, this is like a car-fu movie. Car-fu, like... The like cars it's a kung-fu movie, except oh, they're okay. using cars. And it, it does a, a kung-fu kind of path. <laughs> oh, so, like, so I'm going to top all your racing circuit. It kind of is that, yeah. So, like, he's... Our, our main guy, and he's new, we, we don't have any of the characters from the original movies uh, in, in this at all until the very end, someone shows up. Uh, right. But our main guy, he's just, he's not good at racing. He kind of sucks at it. He's just addicted to it. <laughs> and like, he just keeps having to move to a new town because he screws up in races and his mom <laughs> is too embarrassed for him and he has oh, to go no. to a new city. So it's also a high school movie because like, he's a oh, high school no. kid, which is maybe a problem in terms of just Probably. the how uh, much girls are objects in this. They're, they're, they're very, uh, the stakes of races are often girlfriends, which is kind of problematic. Oh, I don't uh, like that. Yeah, and so the first race is with Zachary Ty Bryan of Home Improvement. <laughs> oh, shoot. I remember him. <laughs> Good old Brad. Yeah. And he races him for his girlfriend. He's like the, the head of the football team, the, the, the quarterback or whatever, and he's 
uh, macho dickhead and they they get in a race and our guy just can't corner he's awful at cornering he's like someone who's just unable to power slide in mario kart that's how he drives he's got to learn how to tokyo oh he's got to learn how to tokyo drift he needs to he, he the race goes so badly that uh, both cars are destroyed. He drives through a house and he has to leave the country. <laughs> <laughs> and he mom, goes, I did it again. Exactly. Oh. He goes to mom. I did it again. And she's like, you're you're living with your your uncle in Bel Air. <laughs> no, she, <laughs> he, he sends her. She sends him to live with his ex Navy dad in Tokyo where he learns oh. the art of the Tokyo drift. <laughs> Uh, it's mostly from training. the navy dad no the the dad okay. doesn't want him to even touch a car because of course you know uh but you know he gets into the racing scene uh bow wow <laughs> is there he's he's the kid who sells stuff right. you remember little bow wow yeah i remember little bow wow he's an actor in this movie oh, uh the race scenes are really fun uh, really cool Tokyo locations. I don't like any of the characters. I think they're all kind of unpleasant. Uh, there's one character who's kind of comes back in the rest of the series, even though he dies in this movie. <laughs> he gets better. He gets better. He's in the next one. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's a, it's a kung fu movie. He spends like the first hour of the movie training, and then suddenly he's really good at it, and then he wins a bunch of races, and it's fun. <laughs> It's right probably on. my favorite of the first three. Okay, right on. Next up is Alien Private Eye. Uh, this is another like classic covered on uh, Red Letter Media's Best of the Worst. It's kind of where it became famous. This is the first like proper Blu-ray release of it, HD. All right. So it's this, uh... it's this male model alien. He's okay. very modeled after Michael Jackson, but like all white. Uh, sort of like sort of doing a, a a retro Humphrey Bogart thing. Okay. More like Dumfrey Fogart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. Uh, it's, it's like they're doing a Maltese Falcon thing, except it's also somehow train spotting. Because <laughs> the, the MacGuffin device is this alien disc that creates a designer drug that is the most addictive thing in the galaxy. Alright, alright. <laughs> it's very heightened. It's quite ridiculous. Uh it's kind of like remember Death Machines? It's sort of that vibe. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, right. Like really low quality and <laughs> slow moving and just bizarre. Like the the alien guy or the, the alien bad guy has a picture of a framed picture of Hitler who he'll yell at sometimes <laughs> to help him. It's, like Richard and his Richard Nixon and his Kennedy painting moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and he's just like got this gang of people who want to get the alien drug from him. <laughs> I don't know. It's very weird. Uh, not good by any means, but it's a specific vibe that it's kind of why I collect these vinegar syndrome discs. <laughs> right on. <laughs> uh, next up, the Green Knight. Now, is this that one that came out like last year or the year before? Last year. Uh, okay, was a kind of almost nothing, just that it's out. Yeah, it, it was a kind of big one last year. Uh, a lot of 
awards attention, uh, very critically acclaimed, and it it rules. It's amazing. Okay. Uh, it's very psychedelic, uh, incredibly beautifully shot. Uh, it's an adaptation of the classic Arthurian romantic poem, Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Did you study that in high school? No, no, I did not. This is one that I had to study in high school and I think also in university. And oh. it's it's the, there's Sir Gawain. Uh, he he's at court. I think he's wanting to be like he's a knight in training for the round table. Yeah. And the green knight shows up. And in this, he is like a woody monster. He's like a giant. It's really cool. Oh, cool. And he's like, I will challenge any knight to this game. And like, you come and give me one strike. And a year from now, uh, I will return the same strike. And uh, you, you can have my axe. And Gawain steps up and he chops his head off. And so the woody monster, he picks his head back up and he's like, all right, year from now. <laughs> Meet me in my forest palace. This didn't and, work out the way I thought it would. <laughs> yeah, and so you you get a bunch of the year of him kind of preparing for it, and then his psychedelic journey to the forest palace and the challenges thrown in his path and the chivalric ways he goes about it. He has a talking fox sidekick for a while. Uh, cool. It's fascinating. It's It's incredibly psychedelic. It sort of lives in that weird medieval realm. It, it sort of captures that weird... Uh, place of magic being part of everyday life. Nice. Uh, that one had been on my radar for a while. Then I kind of forgot about it. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. It's super interesting. Rad. Interested in it. And last one is Love and Saucers. Uh, this is a documentary about David Huggins, who is a pretty fun, charming dude who, uh, says at the age of 17 uh, an alien took his virginity right he has oh. lots of paintings <laughs> oh is, you sh you showed one of those paintings in our group chat yeah so like he he has tons and tons of paintings of his many sexual encounters with aliens over the years uh mostly this one girl called crescent uh I'm really I, I really enjoy all of the stuff that's just him showing off all of his paintings because there's so many of them and him giving kind of the stories behind them. And also there's a part where he's just going through all the sci-fi movies he has on VHS. He has just this whole great VHS wall. Uh, I like all that stuff a lot. <laughs> cool. uh, the, it's, it's very short, though, and it's kind of padded because there's this like the last 20 minutes or so are other voices and it's just them talking to like his son and his neighbors and just kind of like, what do you think about this guy? And they're like, I don't know. He seems like a nice guy. It's just like, I don't care. I I, I want to see more of David Huggins and his paintings, spend more time there. Uh, so it's fun, but admittedly probably not enough to sustain a discussion because <laughs> it's just, <laughs> this guy's kooky and lovable and look at all these paintings. Like if we could go show all the paintings, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That doesn't work on an audio, uh, indeed, on a indeed. podcast, but highly recommend just to see those. We'll probably just have to watch it sometime. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, I'm interested in doing that sometime. Yeah, it's only like 67 minutes. Oh, gosh. All right. All right. So those are the picks. What do you figure? 
Uh, well, I had been wanting to see the Green Knight anyway, so let's do that. All right. It is pretty rad. Uh, so we have a handful of additions to the stacks as well. Uh, first up is the Black Marble. Uh, this is a police procedural from the 70s. Not really procedural, it's sort of like a police drama about a kind of drunken fuck-up homicide detective. He's been sort of disgraced from that position and moved to robbery detail. Okay. And he is trying to track down a dog napper, uh, played by Harry Dean Stanton. He's playing a character called Philo Skinner, the Terrier King. All right. <laughs> that alone makes me pretty interested in seeing it. <laughs> uh, sort of a, a kind of loosely comedic, just a you know comedic uh, drunken detective movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, next up, You and the Night. This is the first movie by Jan Gonzalez, who did Knife Plus Heart. And this this has been described as bre the Breakfast Club meets Eyes Wide Shut. Okay. <laughs> so it's these two lovers and their maid, who is trans, they prepare for an orgy. They've invited the slut, the star, the stud, and the teen. <laughs> okay. Uh, it has a score by M83, just as Knife Plus Heart does. So uh, I'm much more familiar with the score. I've never seen the movie before, but I had the score on disc for years. Uh, sounds fun. <laughs> right on, right on. <laughs> uh, next up is Jesus Shows You the Way to the Highway. And this is surreal dystopian Afrofuturism. Uh, it's an Ethiopian movie. Uh, director Miguel Lanzo. I've seen his first movie, which is also included as a special feature on this. Uh, I haven't seen this one yet. This is the second one. Uh, his first one, Crumbs, it's about like a post-apocalyptic future where it's just kind of people trying to trade various weird nostalgic Earth relics to get on board this giant alien saucer that's just hanging in the sky ominously all the time. Cool. So that one was cool. And this one is uh, it's set in 2035. And there's this guy who's a CIA agent and he's trying to deal with this virus that's been inserted in the CIA's operating system, which is called Psychobook and kind of controls reality. So the virus is now bleeding into reality and causing problems. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> uh, my understanding is there's a Kung Fu Batman in it. Uh, Jesus is a character. So is Joseph Stalin. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds That's, pretty wild. Yes, it does. <laughs> uh, next up, Visiting Hours. This is a Canadian slasher movie set in a hospital. Uh, I have seen this before, but not in a while. It's got Michael Ironsides, uh, who you'd know from probably lots of stuff. I don't know. Uh, oh, he's, he he's was one of the, the main bad guy in Turbo Kid, wasn't he? Yes, that's correct. Okay. Okay. Uh, and he's in Scanners and all sorts of great stuff. Uh, in this, he's the villain. He's it's it's not a mystery who the slasher is. He's an MRA. He's this letter columnist who is angry at a lady journalist uh, and he threatens to kill her. And then it's just him killing people in a hospital and trying to kill her. Uh, it's, it's wild. All right. Next up is Jason X. <laughs> uh, continuing the what if Elseworld series. So Jason, but he's an X-Men. Jason, except it's in the future and he's in space. 
Oh, this is the space one. This is the space one. I kind of hate this one. <laughs> I've only oh. seen this one once before. Uh, the like uh, earlier this year, I guess, or maybe no, I guess it was a year ago, more than a year ago now. But uh, it's very video gamey. Uh, it's the dumbest. It's so dumb. Uh, it's quite gory for one. Like they they do kind of lean into the gore, but just kind of a lot of crappy CG. Uh, bad, as as I recall. <laughs> I remember seeing like commercials for this when it was new and being like, wait, Jason's a future thing? What Attitude even... era. <laughs> oh my god. I had no idea how bad things were at that when I was living it, but <laughs> it's it's one of those. Yeah, like it he, he kinda looks like a pro wrestler in this one. He's <laughs> very ridiculous and it's it's like him suplexing people and there there is one part that's kind of the one part people point at is kind of great is they put him in a hollow deck where he just gets to kill as much as he wants but he gets bored of it ultimately because there's no <laughs> reality to it and there's yeah. just one amazing shot where like we've had these sleeping bag kills throughout the series and there's yeah. part where it's just him swinging around two people in sleeping bags at the same time a plus okay. uh everything else is bad <laughs> All right. uh and last edition is fast and furious the fourth film in the series <laughs> they should drop the thes <laughs> see it's not just about these people who are fast and furious it's about the concept itself of fastness and furiousness yeah, so this is the one that brings the gang back together. It's like, okay, we're getting FBI agent Brian, you know, Paul Walker's character, back together with Dom, Vin Diesel, uh, who's been on the run, and we're going to solve their problems together. They're going to... We've been pronouncing it wrong. It's forced and furious. For asked for for furious? <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> It, I, I have seen this one before. This, for some reason, was the very first one I ever saw. Uh, it has an outstanding opening sequence where they have a high-speed truck heist. It's sort of like one of the staples of the series. Okay. My recollection is that after that, it gets pretty tedious, and I got very bored of it fast, and I have not watched it again since then. Uh, but right. it's them teaming up against a bad guy. I know that five is awesome. <laughs> five is the one where the rock shows up, right? Correct. And that okay. one's a total blast. There's a really insane chase scene where there's two cars attached to giant bank vaults. Oh. And they're like oh, on oh, chains yeah, and bank vaults. That. Yeah. yeah. It rules. It's amazing. Yeah. All right. Uh, so what do you figure for our main feature next week? Uh, well... Um, there's a whole, as always, there is a whole lot, but I'm at about 1% battery on my phone, so I'm going to pick Al Adamson. Okay, so uh, that uh, one... It's been a while. All right, uh, so that's uh, The Female Bunch? Yeah, The Female Bunch. All right, uh, sort of a... The first one, I believe? Uh, I think it's the first one in the set. Is uh, This okay. is the him doing Manson family stuff. Uh, right. With Russ Tamblin as the quasi Manson, that'll be fun. <laughs> cool, cool. I've only ever seen Russ Tamblin in Twin Peaks. Of uh, Twin Peaks, yeah. Unless you've seen uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. 
I don't think I have. Oh. Well, anyway, next week we will be discussing The Female Bunch and uh, what was the second one? The Green Knight. Oh, Green Knight, the, yes. The Female Bunch and The Green Knight. Uh, I can remember five minutes ago. <laughs> a, a very critically acclaimed feature uh, following a very critically derided feature. Uh, so <laughs> thanks so much for listening, as always. Uh, and any final thoughts? Uh, no, no, I uh, I, I, I love it. I wasn't even doing that on purpose, but I did it. I put the, I always do that. It's like my brain is drawn to doing that, putting something kind of lame with something like super prestige. Uh, so it should be uh, an interesting discussion uh, next week. The Female Bunch and The Green Knight. Uh, thanks so much, everybody, and keep watching the stacks.